Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Happy holidays to you. It is the last podcast of 2020, and Graham McMillan and I are here to give you our best of lists, reasons for the best of lists, podcasting, recording problems and solutions, and just generally a two-plus-hour episode of Scattered Toys, Coal, and Christmas Good Cheer. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Laster! Graham McMillan, hello! Uh, do you want to know the weirdest thing? Hmm. I heard an echo of the ringing tone when I picked up. I think from your computer. Yes, probably. Probably. Because uh, let me tell you, Graham McMillan, I have had to go through some workflow adjustment shit today so uh <laughs> and that's how we always want to start off for podcasts yes absolutely with me saying things like workflow adjustment shit so yeah it uh, it was it was it was a little uh, it was a little scary i think it mostly most of it is covered but um yeah i figured stupidly i figured that um uh, first off, listeners, welcome to the last podcast, uh, our uh, last episode of uh, 2020 for us. Um, uh, we're we're going to go into a long Hollywood, Hollywood? Long holiday hibernation. I think Hollywood hibernation should be like, you know, 10 years from now when they're like taking, you know, cartoon characters and holograms and it's, you know... <laughs> Frank Sinatra and Yogi Bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, no, I mean like Yogi Bear and Frank Sinatra and they're cops and it's, you know, 1950s Los Angeles or something like that. See, I was going to say Hollywood hibernation sounds like it's going to be one of those terrible holiday films. It probably does. But, but, well, I was going for holiday hibernation. And I know you said, said Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, anyway, in theory, if we can even get through this podcast, much less this day, much less this year, we're going to be back in uh, 2021 with a whole new round, uh, go round as it were. Um, but uh, but I got a new computer, which has been mostly fabulous, and I was very excited to tell Graham about it. And at about, I don't know, two or three this afternoon today, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I should make sure this stuff is set up. And... Um, Wait, what, what stuff is set up? Well, see, this is it. I, I have a new computer, so I didn't, I didn't download. I downloaded a few things, but I was like, oh, yeah, I downloaded Skype. And I'm like, yeah, and it, you know, it imported all my contacts once I logged on as me. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I was like, oh, wait, right. I need, I need to download Call Recorder for Skype. Now, so, so I use Skype on, on the quote-unquote old arrangement, Skype. Uh, for us to talk, call recorder for us to record, audacity for me to edit, uh, and then I use Evernote to more or less make the show notes in, and then I use a, a freeware program called Editra to edit the RSS feed, uh, which I then upload with a program called Yummy FTP Pro. So, when so how many of those don't work now? Too many of them. Too really? many of them. 
Yummy FTP Pro. Um, you know, it had stopped working a few weeks ago, like about a month ago, uh, as you may recall, Graham. The re- yeah, no yeah. one else is going to hear about this, but our our helpful IT support guy um, helped me use the web upload interface. But I'm like, but why doesn't my FTP program work anymore? He's like, Meh. so I was kind of like, you know, the timing of it. I kind of think that probably what happened was. You know, this guy was paying the small indie developer who was doing Yummy FTP. He was spending all his uh, time prioritizing getting this stuff put on, you know, the M1 Mac chip stuff and, and moving away from the Intel chipset. And it's it's going to be brand spanking new. So, Graham, I, 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 I'll be honest. I don't remember which one it is, but at least one of the developers has either died or, as I suspect, has faked his own death, reported himself as dead so that he doesn't have to go through the pain in the ass of upgrading one of our programs. Um, I think that was Yummy FTP. Editra uh, was abandoned more or less six or seven months after I um, downloaded it for the first time. Actually, it must be longer than that because I've been editing for, for a while with this thing. Um, got abandoned back in 2018. No one's touched it. And then finally, a uh, call recorder, um, more or less, has said nothing officially. But in the podcasting, podcasters read it, which A, of course there's one. And B, why haven't I ever joined that before? <laughs> Um, basically someone reached out to that guy and was like, you know, when are you going to do, uh, uh, an M1 Mac chip version of, of call recorder? And he was basically, oh, I don't know how's when hell boils over for you. So, so I was like, oh shit, I have no way to record our call. You and I can talk, but I don't have, I'm not able to record it. Uh, I don't quite know how I'm going to export it. And then there's an entire thing about the RSS feed. So, uh, you, Graham, you may remember, and I'm sorry, listeners, I should really keep this short because we have so many things to talk about towards the end of the year, like our best comic picks and what have you. But several years back, Graham and I hit some sort of weird wall where Skype wasn't working for us. I don't remember, again, maybe call recorder guy had a fit or we hadn't moved a call recorder and we were using something else. So we went through a period of uh, it basically FaceTiming one another. And yeah. I had researched and sort of semi kind of figured out how to use uh, two programs, Soundflower and what at the time was called Audio Hijack Pro. Um, I don't I think Soundflower is still out there in the world, but Audio Hijack Pro is now Audio Hijack and at the time when you and I were working on this stuff, Graham, I was so relieved when Call Recorder started working again because Audio Hijack Pro was like the world's worst program for me in particular to use. Because oh, no, no, I I remember that this that was um, that was very much an imperfect workaround. Yeah, it was. I mean, there was all that stuff, but but basically there was just, and I think we maybe we may have even abandoned Audio Hijack and moved on to a different thing like using some sort of video capture and then exporting the the audio. And it was a whole thing. 
Audio Hijack is supposedly like as as it's like an old school Mac program, which is that it, it is so um, uh, has so many powerful features built in that they would rather die than provide documentation. And I mean, that's not entirely true because the new audio, audio Hijack, part of the reason why I downloaded it was it had a little video and it's like, it's easier to use than ever before. It's just all drag and drop. And I mean, on the one hand, they're right. But on the other hand, I was like, it, it literally was three hours of me dragging and dropping various tools and just weird shit. Like, I'm like, okay, uh, just just export this as two fucking separate stereo streams. And that wasn't working at one point. I swear to God, I, I have done 9 million calls with the Skype call testing woman. And I hate her so much now. <laughs> I hate, I transferred all of my hate onto her little jaunty. Hello. And I'm like, fuck you, lady. Because every time I would talk to her, it would be like my voice was going like this. Blah, 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 and I had no idea what the fuck was going on. So I finally have worked out a workaround um, that I believe does work. I just I hope you can hear me because the next weird thing is once I tried adjusting my microphone levels on my headset, it began that whole like, oh, right. Mac really hates integrated headsets. It wants you to have a microphone level that you can adjust and then a headphone level. But if you've got both, it's it's always going to crank either crank the microphone level to the max, which I think was my last solution on, when we were recording with Skype and exporting with Call Recorder, or this new solution through Audio Hijack, which is I have two separate streams that are recording while we talk. There's me and there's you. You come out sounding fine, and I come out like I am whispering. But if I crank the volume level up in audacity, we more or less sound like we're talking at the same volume. So I'm really pleased that you sound like you can hear me. I, unless I, Yes, I can hear you just fine. Great, great. So, so it may even be an improvement because, as you know, we were that, that like super yelly bit of me whenever i started talking appears to have gone away so okay so real talk do you want to get off this call and see if it recorded no because i've tested i've tested it i believe me you've tested it enough that you feel completely confident i, I feel completely confident that this okay. thing is recording yeah yeah i'm not I'm worried glad. yes me too me <laughs> too believe me so uh, yeah, so, so that's what great. Thing is, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. I I I think so. I think so. Trauma, resentment, all that usual awesome stuff that one feels around the holidays. I definitely feel. But Graham, I gotta say, I did it. I think an excellent job putting together my best of list um, because I more or less was able to assemble. As you know, I've been keeping track of the titles that I've been reading. Not perfectly, but mostly. Yeah, I have not. And I, I tried, remember, and yes. I dropped off after like a month. <laughs> well, probably because you read more in that month than I read in four. But basically, I was able to take my approximately 500 things that I read this year and boil it down to a best of list of 
57 and then squeezed it down to a very best reads of 15 and then down to a top 10 where I had to throw out a couple of things and make some arbitrary decisions. Okay, so I really want to hear your top 10 because I did my top 10 for THR this week. And I know that honestly, it could have been a top more than 10. Mm -hmm. But I basically decided to cap it. (laughs) Okay, which is smart. So I can talk about the 10 and maybe expand to the 15. But first, I would like to hear your top 10. I know you published it. I'm sorry this week was sort of crazy. No, no, no. I I, I 100% do not expect you or anyone else to to know exactly what goes up in THR on a Friday afternoon. Mm. Um, Okay, so my top 10 is... Mm-hmm. In no particular order, Don't Go Without Me by Rosemary Valero O'Connell. Right. Superman Smashes the Clan by Gene Yang and Guru Hero. Hmm. Uh, I cheated by saying all of Al Ewing's Marvel titles. Oh, that is a cheat. Uh, it's very much a cheat. Uh, John Constantine Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. The Sice Barrier, Aaron Campbell, Madis Bergara series. Mm-hmm. Um, Dreadnoughts, the Michael Carroll, John Higgins, Judge Dread prequel that's in the magazine. Right. The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by Adrian Tomini. Mm, mm-hmm. A Map to the Sun by Sloan Leong. Mm. The Magic Fish by Trung uh, Lee Gwynn. That's great. Lost Soldiers by Alish Cott. And Lu- uh, Luca, I'm going to get his name wrong. Casa Languida, I think his last name is. Hmm. The artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul at Home by Michelle Rabag- Rabagliati. Mm. Their name I'm going to get wrong. The Almost the 11th, and the only thing that actually kept it off the list was a silly technical thing internally at THR. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Almost 11th was Seven Secrets by Tom Taylor and I can't remember the name of the artist, the Boom series, Tom Taylor's Boom series, mm-hmm. um, which I'm just, uh, I caught up with and I'm completely in the tank for. Oh, that's fabulous. Wow. That is great. Um, hmm, well, good list. A good list. It's it's interesting. There's really there's a very there's a very thin slice of superheroes in there. Intentionally, mm. uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of other stuff that that I liked a lot, and a bunch of stuff, other stuff that almost made it to the list and didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, Su- uh, Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad almost ended up in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strange Adventures almost ended up on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, the the after I caught up with it, uh, because Adam Nave basically told me to uh, catch up with it, the Iron Man, the new Iron Man series, Christopher Cantwell and, and Capu's Iron Man series almost ended up in there. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I I, they're, they're, I intentionally limited it. And also, it isn't, isn't. Like I said, all of Alan Ewing's Marvel series. Well, That's sure. like four books. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, but... I put them all together in part because I especially feel that Guardians of the Galaxy and Sword are going to end up being one story. Mm. Very strongly feel that. But also, I would not be surprised if Immortal Hulk ties in there as well mm. with the use of Gamma Flight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, Immortal Hulk, I said last time we did a wait while that I was kind of drifting from it and yeah. I was kind of disappointed. Mm-hmm. This week's issues legitimately turned me around on that. Oh, that's great. I don't know. If, have you read this week? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. King Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not spoiling anything, but you'll understand what I'm talking about. In particular, Joe Fixit yelling at the thing, he's just a kid, you're beating up on a kid. Yeah. That one panel completely, 
didn't floor me, but it completely made me go, oh shit, this is so much better than I've been giving it credit for. Uh... That one panel. And honestly, the King and Black special, mm-hmm. I thought was really fucking strong. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. Um, yeah, so so those two issues this week made me go, I really have been not giving Immortal Hulk the credit it deserves. Oh, well, that's, uh, I'm really like, glad to hear that. There's so much more going on here than I was, than I was giving credit for, and I, and, and I was wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, that is, uh, that's really good to hear, Graham. I, I'm very, I'm quite pleased to hear about it. It was a weird week for comics for me. I'm not quite entirely sure why, but like, like I didn't, um, it was only literally uh, people tweeting about, uh, and it may have been you, but I think it was someone else tweeting about Immortal Hulk King in Black. And I was like, oh shit, that's out this week, which kind of blew it, it, my I, mind because I, I... I tweeted about the fact that the two came out and turned me around. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, I didn't realize at first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like it, I, Immortal Hulk on Reddit. And then it was like, I don't see no, King in Black. And I was like, is it? Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I I sort of saw that, and I'm like, sure, sure, next week, right, fine, whatever. I didn't realize it was literally until you tweeted about it. In fact, weirdly enough, I was on Comixology looking at something, and, and, and it was like, recommended for you, like, Death Metal 6. And I'm like, oh, is that out next week? Wait, why does it say it's available and it's not a pre-order? Oh, that, wait, that came out? shit like so i have purchased it but i have not read it um and uh you know as as long as i i'll mention it again at the end and grandma i don't know if you know or care i know that it's not always your preferred format or whatever but they are doing a stupidly deep sale marvel must have hit another missed another sales target or something their marvel masterworks sale in which their volume ones of their masterworks on Comixology are 99 cents or less if you have the Comixology unlimited discount. And then each additional volume is $1.99 uh, is just flabbergasting. Marvel's also yes. doing a greatest runs, uh, which is a horrible name for a sale, but has some incredibly ridiculously low uh, prices for things. Not only is every volume of a Mortal Hulk like more or less like two ninety nine, I think, but like Hawkeye, which is the single volume collection of the entire Fraction David Aja run, is I think like four ninety nine or something like that. So That's nuts. yeah, so there's just stupid prices, and I really do. I want to give a shout out to the listeners of this podcast and the people my my mutuals as the kids say on Twitter, because the number of people who like tweeted at me, Oh my God, Jeff, this sale, this sale is your sale. And I was like, ah, you know, and when I went on comiXology, the thing that's kind of embarrassing and hilarious was going to that Marvel masterworks page and being like, Ooh, got it. Got it. Got it. Like, you know, like there was more, there was the it was on the read badge more than it was the buy badge so i was like oh that's wow and at first i was like oh well that's good i don't i don't have to buy anything i'll be set exactly a lot of books yeah so i have a lot of those books and then i went back and got sadly a lot more so um so yeah it was fabulous right i should say the 
for once, we're actually talking far ahead of the sale ending. The sale ends at the 3rd of January. Third, January so anyone, 3rd. And, yeah. Yeah. Anyone right. listening to this and going, oh, if only I'd had a chance, you still do. Yes. Uh, you're listening to this significantly after uh, the release date. Yeah. Uh, you st- Unfortunately, we I should say we only know about this for the U.S. I don't know if the U.K. stuff uh, is similar. I would assume that it is. And there are those people who very cleverly go and buy this stuff on Amazon and have their accounts synced so they can read it in Comixology, which allows them to use gift cards and things which are pretty um, common at this at this stage of the year. So, yeah, I'm super happy to mention it because get your ass out there if we if we had time to kill as opposed to um i'll be shocked if we can wedge everything in in however long we're talking uh hey, i just threw my top 10 books in like a minute yeah you did that kind of sucked i gotta say uh <laughs> I, I will happily talk about them more but yeah well actually so this is one of those things that i want to say graham is is do does the it, you know do I distort the lens of your comic book discussing on this podcast? Because I I am curious, apart from uh, uh, Rosemary you're like, Valerio Connell's... Like, do, you just, do you distort it or do I distort it? No, well, uh, right. Do you distort it for so, me? Yeah. So doing the best ofs every year, mm-hmm. I purposely read things that i have meant to read and not read mm. for a while like mm-hmm. i have read in the last couple of weeks a metric shit ton of things um things uh-huh. that i have wanted to read things that i have like started and then abandoned things that i haven't read but you know you know as well as anyone earlier this month i basically was like so what's everyone's favorite book of the year right and part of it is there's going to be books there that I hadn't heard of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And and I want to I want to read them. I want to know what am I missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do in in December and especially the last couple of weeks, I do really just read a lot that I haven't previously read. Mm-hmm. Um, so the list is in part based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at the ten books. I talked about Rosemary Valerie O'Connell on here before. Yes. We talked about Superman Smashes the Clan. We talked about the Al Ewing books. Yeah. I kind of talked about Hellraiser, Hellblazer, but not a lot. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, more or I less on our last episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I talked about Dreadnoughts a mm-hmm. bit, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. I did talk about the Adrian Tomini book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mentioned this Lonely Young book, but didn't really go into great detail about it. I think I mentioned the Trung Gwyn book and didn't go into great detail about it. And I think the same is true with of Paul at home and Lost Soldiers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven Secrets as well is a book I think I mentioned maybe in passing. Maybe in not, passing. That kind of yeah, did not, not yeah, ring a bell. That, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it is, literally, I, 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 A, read a bunch for work, and a lot of stuff basically goes in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. But also, I caught up with it this week, and reading like... Because I'd read issues one and two, but reading issues one and two again, and then three, four, and five, mm-hmm. it basically in a row, mm-hmm. um, really underscored for me like how good a book it is, mm-hmm. and how it is. It's a very good high concept, but it's also the execution of that high concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I think it was like two weeks ago when King of Black came out, that um, I Stegman's art like works for me now that basically I realized that he's doing my hero academia as a Marvel comic. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, 
And one of the things I like so much about Seven Secrets is it feels like a manga that someone has uh, adapted. Mm-hmm. Better way of putting it, mm-hmm. like it, it feels like it, it, I don't know. Have you read any of the series or not? No, not at all. So the the, the high concept or the gimmick mm-hmm. is there are seven secrets, and these seven secrets have been passed down from generation to generation, and there's an organization that holds them because they have such power that you know if anyone ever reveals them, you know the worlds will end type mm-hmm. deal. And there is an organization that. Uh, exists to protect these secrets, but now there's an organization that exists to basically steal them and reveal them. Mm. The main character of the book is the child of two of the people previously charged with keeping the secrets. Mm-hmm. And in the first issue, his parents, spoilers, die. Mm. Um, sorry, his father dies. His mother's still around. Um, and I thought, based on that first issue that the rest of the series would be like, you know, I'm not necessarily out for revenge, but like, you know, I'm taking on my father's mantle and I have to, you know, travel the world and save these secrets. And instead, the next four issues, you know, one of them is about the funeral. Mm-hmm. And then the next three are basically about this kid being trained. Hmm. This kid going to school to learn to protect these secrets. Hmm. And the way it's done did feel very manga to me. It did feel very anime to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only in the art, the art. I've got to have to look up the artist because I can't, I can't remember their name for the life of me, and it's killing me. Because one of the things that's so good about this book is it visually it's fucking lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, the artist's name is uh, Danielle Diniculo, mm. who apparently has previously worked in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm. Um, but it's it's just this this beautiful looking book. But it is very influenced by manga in terms of uh, panel layout and stylization. Mm. Uh, and it's it works very much, especially when you get to the training sequences. Mm. Uh, that it just it, it it you know it looks wonderful and it looks it doesn't look like an American comic book, even though it looks like an American comic book for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And then. Added to that, you have Tom Taylor, who is, I, I think he's just a genuinely wonderful writer. Mm-hmm. And I think that he writes YA, question mark, uh, really well. I'm say, sorry saying question mark because it's not marketed as a YA book, although I read it as a YA book. Mm-hmm. It's actually, for me, very reminiscent of his his TV show for Netflix, The Deep. Mm. It, that it, it, it is, like, essentially all ages. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you know, the, it, it can work on multiple levels. Hmm. You know, so I'm reading this book and I'm enjoying this book very much. But one of the thoughts in my head is I can't wait until this first collection is out because I'm buying this first collection for the eight year old because mm. he will eat this shit up. Like this <laughs> is this is exactly right for like that age group. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It, mm. it, it's doing everything right for this. It's got all the stakes. It's got all the the right dramatic turns. Mm. Uh, it does a nice so that the narrator is is the kid. As mm-hmm. previously said, but it's got a nice saga esque moment where it reveals, I think, at the end of issue two or issue three, that he's going to die as well. Mm. Like he actually part of the narration is him going, like, you know, I'm a really odd choice to narrate the story to tell the story because I don't make it through alive. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. which is a great cliffhanger. It's a great page turn moment, right? And then it doesn't like it just leaves that hanging there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but now he's continuing training. You know, now there's there's the 
the the melodrama of so he's he's the kid of the keepers but the person leading the, the attack is also the kid of one of the keepers mm. i you know you've got this sort of melodrama there you've got the larger than life personalities it just it just works really really well mm. but i had forgotten about it mm-hmm. you know i'd literally forgotten about it and this honestly the same with the al ewing books if i hadn't honestly you know had the conversation with you about immortal hulk and gone back to it in the last couple of weeks. Like, I might have forgotten about it and not put it on the list. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'm skewing... I don't think that you skew what I read for the podcast mm. or what I talk on the podcast as much as I think I maybe do mm. subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But also, when it comes to these year-end lists, I am really reading a lot and a lot of stuff that I put off or a lot of stuff that I've abandoned and I go back and basically force myself to sit through. Mm. So it, it, it's it's different than my, like my December is very different than my regular reading. Like I said, I went back because uh, Adam Nave was talking about it and read the Cantwell Iron Man. Mm-hmm. You know, back and read, you know, something that isn't on the list and honestly kind of surprises me that it wasn't on the list was the Fraction Lieber Jimmy Olsen book. Which yeah. is fucking great. Yeah. But honestly, I'm not sure it deserved to knock any of the other ones off the list. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And also, the list is the list is curated. Mm-hmm. Right? So I've already got, for example, two DC books on there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to add a third DC book. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a, a top ten where a publisher's represented three times. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so Jimmy Olsen stays off because of that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you <clears throat> if you saw it, uh, or for that matter, uh, uh, listeners, um, if you get a chance, our previous Wait What, um, which is several weeks in the rearview mirror, had some really interesting discussion uh, on from the listeners, uh, and I chimed in once or twice. More or less, I think it was Matthew Murray being like, what do you guys define sort of like, how do you do a top 10 list? Because there were it's it's great that you included Superman Smashes the Clan, because in our preliminary discussion, we more or less were kind of like, you know, it's not really it's a, a it's book a, that a came out. Book. Yeah, yeah, right. And so there were people who pointed out like, wow, I wonder how many really great books get oh, dropped I, off of I, the top 10 because they first two come out in 2019 and then the third part is in 2020 and therefore as a bridge it's sort of what was really interesting for me when i asked like what's everyone's favorite book is a lot of people said peter Cannon and thunderbolt mm-hmm. and that's because the collected edition came out in january mm-hmm. but the series like came out to my mind the entire thing was published in 2019 mm-hmm you know, and to, uh, to that matter, like, it's on my 2019 best of the year list. Right. Um, but Superman Smash the Clan made it on there, honestly, because it, it did, like, it was over the gap, right? Mm-hmm. The same way that, in my mind, only the, the other history of the DC Universe is going to end up being over the gap. Because mm-hmm. the first issue and maybe the second issue are coming out this year. Mm-hmm. And then the remainder's coming in next year. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just based on that first issue, other history could have ended up in my top 10 this year. I really liked it. Really? I, re- I did I not. Really oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I didn't hate it, but 
I wasn't. I wasn't. Oh no! I I I really liked it. Huh. Hmm. I, and I, I so I liked it so much that I went back and reread it days later to check that I wasn't nuts. Mm, mm-hmm. Hmm. And I assumed that you, of course, concluded that you were not. So yeah, no, I I liked it as much the second time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's another book that's that's across the gap, right? And so it's it's a judgment call. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it felt part of it is also. Superman Smashes Clan feels like a 2020 book to me. <laughs> and I can't explain that more than like it is a feeling. When I think about it, I feel like it came out this year. Mm. You know, for me, I, a lot of it is because uh, I think I don't remember if it was just the first part or the first two parts, but it sort of made the honorable mention list on my uh, on my list last year. But the third issue to me was exceptional. Like the, the finale, that final issue is great. First two issues are very good. Definitely honorable mention stuff. But for me, part of it, and it's funny, I don't know how much that necessarily, you know, if, if three jokers, number one had come out like this month. Yeah, exactly. You know, no, that's just it. Like, you know, if three jokers, number one had come out in December, Mm -hmm. I could see it have at least haven't gotten like an honorable mention from you. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, cause you loved that first issue a lot. Yeah. 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 No. And it did, it made the sort of, you know, 50 plus issue list of, you know, kind of everything before I started whittling things away. If I remembered that the end was terrible. <laughs> that, that's the that's the other thing that's really interesting, like putting together this list this year. First of all, I found putting together my list this year so much harder than normal. Mm. So much harder. Um, in part because I think 2020 has kind of fucked my brain in terms of remembering what I liked. Yes. Uh, in part because... Honestly, not going to conventions felt like I missed a lot of work. Right. Did you go to conventions and people are talking about books or people are like, oh, you know, have you read such and such? Or, you know, this is the greatest thing or for that matter, like this is the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you, you, you do, you know, the, the buzz book thing means that you, you do check stuff out that you wouldn't have checked out otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I regret not being able to do that and i think that it it made making this list harder for me this year Mm -hmm. um so it's it's a weird list like i was very conscious in the list there's no manga Mm -hmm. but honestly i've not read any and Mm -hmm. i don't feel confident enough in being like well you know (laughs) that everyone else says this is great especially because there are lots of books where other people are like well this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and i'm like and no right (laughs) Yeah, I disagree, Jeff. You're wrong again. Um, no, no, but but uh, one, like there was a couple of books that when I said on Twitter, what, "What's your best comic of the year?" There were a couple of things that came up repeatedly. And when I say repeatedly, I mean like you know five or six times. Yeah, I am like that's I. Are you high? Like that's <laughs> that's like it's fine, but it's fine. Right. Right. How can that make it on your best best of your list? How the fuck does that make it on there? Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is something that I have to, I have to read these myself. You know, I, I'll so? t- I'll tell you something else with, that you haven't mentioned that I think uh, as a sort of weird, um, uh, uh, unacknowledged factor uh, as to why I think it was hard for you, and I suspect hard for everyone 
to um, put together their top 10 lists in many ways this year for, for comics uh, is that uh, Tom Spurgeon is not here, right? He passed in 2019. And for people like me who didn't go to the cons, like Tom definitely made a point to do a lot of link blogging towards the end of the year with people's top 10 lists. Well, well, I mean, relates to that, there's actually fewer top 10 lists so far. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like I I do like to look around and see what other people are saying before I write mine. And like I, there were, there were a minimal number. Yep. Yep. Uh, But that sort of ties in with another thing where I'm like, I feel like people just aren't like, I don't know what it's like for you. There are almost no Christmas decorations around here. Hmm. Interesting. Which is which is the weirdest thing, and I'm like, maybe people just aren't feeling the holiday season. Actually, the, it's hard because there's. It seems like there's a ton here. Um, in fact, we went out for a walk tonight, and we were kind of stunned by some of the really amazing Christmas decorations. Now, I mean, last year was technically our first year in the house, our first Christmas in the house, but. We have, I mean, I've got almost no memory of it because not only was our first day in Black Friday, but, you know, we didn't have heat and we had like the sinks breaking down. You you had very important things to take care of last year that were not Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So to the extent that we had a small little tree that we put in the living room with with an ornament or two, we thought that we were like, well, we nailed it. You know, now we've got a gorgeous eight foot tree and there's a lot of lights on it and there's some ornaments. And but we also kind of have that time of at least a little bit in a weird way, um, like, oh, let's go out and walk sort of closer to dusk around the neighborhood. And that's, of course, when all the Christmas lights are amazing. Yeah, no. So people here have gone super Santa's village, but that's. Also, I'm learning the nature of where I live. Like as Edie pointed out, they we have Christmas tree farms down here. And so it's a destination for people in the Bay Area to come and get their Christmas trees down here if they're not oh, okay. buying them in a lot somewhere. And so that, I think, if nothing else, subconsciously kind of ups the Christmas content. But also we... We went back to the store where we had bought our first round of Christmas lights because we were like, oh, shit, we literally only have the top half of the tree covered. The rest is all naked. We went back like literally maybe two or three days later and the store was more or less sold out. There was like maybe a couple of little tiny LED like decorate your pot plant lights but nothing like the kind of shit that we had bought the first round so we're like oh shit it this is kind of so it's kind of a big deal down here but i can't tell how much that is a react because because i feel like a lot of people are being i i can see where portland has a very very different vibe in a way because god knows i feel like you know, Portland overall had a much um, gnarlier 2020 than a lot of us. But uh, yeah, I, I, it, I don't know if it's that. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but there are like it's it's 
surprising how few Christmas decorations there are around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wondered if that's like, if honestly, people are just tired. Well, I think, I mean, every, you know, for real, everyone is exhausted. Like, yeah, I think there yeah, is people that. Are, people mm-hmm. are just like, yeah, we're we're done. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that's it. We we don't need we don't need to do any any other sort of marking of of the end of the year. Yeah, stuff. Uh, and you know, maybe that isn't, maybe that isn't it. But I, I am, I'm seeing fewer people do best of lists. Maybe they're saving it for later this week as well. Maybe um, I know that I I wrote something for Polygon. Uh, at the start of this month, it still hasn't run. Wow. Uh, it's been a weird month. It's been a weird month in terms of uh, that sort of thing, in mm-hmm. part because the Disney thing we were talking about a while ago, mm-hmm. um, I think, screwed up a lot of people's calendars. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, maybe there are a lot of, of things to happen. Well, you know, maybe. maybe there's going to be a lot of lists. But yeah, I just found this, this year particularly difficult to put the, the list together. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I feel it is the most incomplete list that I've done uh, for THR. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also simultaneously, like, it's the best I could manage. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I stand behind it, asterisk. <laughs> You know, like I do, I, I feel, I feel the lack of manga a lot, actually. Mm, like mm. I, 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 as I was writing it up, I literally heard you and David Brothers in my head being like, come on, come on, man. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't though. Like I genuinely can't. No, I don't I get it. Win up by this shit. I get it. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a failure. It's, it, it is a failing. Well, you know, again, I think there is a, I, I feel very lucky that, I only do this list for this podcast, and that means you and the people who listen to the podcast, you know, know what a freako I am, and and there's no there's no worry about having to stay current, which up until two or three years ago was kind of a thing. Like you said, there's a little bit of the what's the buzz book that came out of SPX and then everybody runs and picks up and talks about it. Or, you know, somebody like drops something at New York Comic Con and people are like, holy fucking shit, that was amazing, right? Um, And in in past years, it was kind of like, oh man, I'm barely able to keep up with this. And as I've moved just totally off into the, the waters of digital this year, like, I, I really am just wandering around like my top 10 list has an interesting mix, but there is stuff on here that um, there's definitely stuff on here that did not come out this year, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Um, I at least tried to keep it to these are books that are new to me. And, uh, you know, what's rough was making the cut from 10 to 15 to 10 there was some stuff where i made some judgment calls that i'm still like i don't know and one of the things i mentioned rereading that first issue of conan uh from marvel that i read you know two or three months back kind of like three jokers one was kind of like one of my better quote unquote um comics experiences of the year even though but part of me was like, 
I can't even really include it because it wasn't even new to me in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah, a lot yeah. of the, it made the top 50 in terms of these were the top 50 sort of reading experiences that I had, but in terms yeah, of honing I, I, it to honestly, a top 10. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to do a top 10 reading experiences mm. because I think it would be very different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so let me, so do you, do you mind hey, if let's, I, let's, no, let's do your list. For sure. Okay. All right. So, uh, listed more or less in no real order except i think they might it ends up being uh no it's not chronological interestingly enough it kind of pops over in a couple of different directions not quite sure how it got oh i think it got it i organized it by quote-unquote publisher type um um considering how much that we have complained it really blew my mind to realize that we read Judge Dredd the Complete Case Files, like volumes like 12, 13, and 14 this year, which means Oz and Necropolis and Dead Man were all in the front first three months of this year. And those are extraordinary books, you know? Um, I really, even, even I think, because 12 is Oz, I think even 13 which doesn't even pick up, you know, until toward the end, because it ends with, you know, a letter to Judge Dredd or whatever. It's still somewhat strong compared to what follows. So my first tier in the cheat is kind of, I think I put uh, Dredd, the complete case files 14, because that's Necropolis. But mm -hmm. really, that sort of paired You're thing talking like of, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, 14. exactly. Yeah, like a, like from Oz to Necropolis with Dead Man thrown in is is like a pretty great batch of reading. Uh, Karate Prom by Kyle Starks. I actually had it and Old Head uh, on the list and figured I, in a way, I could really only pick one. And I, I love Old Head, but Karate Prom was to me just like flawlessly effervescent. So I just, I really loved Karate Prom. Um, uh, third is the trio of books that, that Abbe wrote drawn by various artists. Um, that was, uh, I keep talking around it because I think that, you know, I think we even got as close as me asking you if you'd read them and you were like, yes, and then we ran out of time and I sort of assumed that it either wasn't your thing or it wasn't anything that you wanted to talk about. So uh, No, it's uh, it's literally like I like it, but I think you love it. I do love it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think I think it's good to be you being like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Me being like, yeah, it's good. Do you know what I mean? Like it's right. it's conversations like those feel. Uh, I don't know. I think there's. I think there are more interesting conversations for other people to listen to. I guess. Then you'd be mm. like, "This is so great," and me being like, "Yeah, it's good." <laughs> <laughs> well, that is you true. I mean? That is true. I did not drag us into the the waters of the other history of the DC universe. So I think that's fair enough. But I I think that uh, I think the three issues of Gangland All Stars that Abe did that are three one shot issues that all seem. Um, it seemed to be part of a, an amorphous comics line from an alternate history that is a secret history of an America that is horrible 
in a way that very much resembles 2020 America is just a was a really I read those books each issue multiple times uh, Melody Mink the second one with art by uh, Diego Guerra was you know the one where the art was just phenomenal but um, I, I also think that one of the reasons that you dig them more than me is that I think you like the source material the inspirations more than I do well yeah, and this is where I, I don't think that we should necessarily talk about that in a way, because part of me is like, on the one hand, you're right. On the other hand, I feel like, for example, Melody Mink is so Morrisonian an issue. You know, it'd be kind of silly, I think, for you to be like, yeah, I mean, you know, Jeff, you love that kind of stuff. And I'm like, Dude, I, no, you I mean, totally I mean, like, Grant as a whole, like, yeah, because it feels, uh, like I have, I had a shorthand for it, which sounds much more mean than it is, mm-hmm. or than it's meant to be. No, because I was like, "Well, it's 1963 for pulp, right?" Oh, that, I, yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. And I think that I think that brings along a lot of connotations that I'm not actually meaning. Mm-hmm. But it's like you know the fictional comic line that's very like uh, simultaneously a love letter to and a comment on tropes of a particular genre. Mm-hmm. But instead of 1963, which was basically like, you know, here's us saying how much we love and also making fun of and also commenting on Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it's very much about sort of pulp genre, mm-hmm. like from, you know, like 20, 30 years ago. God, I guess it would be 30, 40 years ago now. Yeah. Because like, like I'm, I'm basically thinking of like the VHS generation, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that like I get but i don't love Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things in there that i recognize as being good as opposed to enjoy or like i can i enjoy them from a remove i guess Mm -hmm. where i'm like oh that's really smart Mm -hmm. or you know that's well done Mm -hmm. but I, i don't have the visceral like oh fuck i love this because i love this thing that it's commenting on right right does that make sense? No, absolutely, it does. And it I does. think I think that you do love the shit that is it's it's commenting on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so like it it it's completely in your wheelhouse, and for me it feels like it is like a, the wheelhouse nets to my wheelhouse, <laughs> where I can I can recognize that it's skillfully done, mm-hmm. and I can be like, yeah, that's really smart, that's really clever. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between that and actually like really fucking digging it. Yeah, really connecting with it. Yeah. Um, you know? Okay. Well, good. I'm glad I got to got to hear your opinions on it. Um, I think that's I think that's great. Yeah. I um. Whereas, yeah, I'm pretty gaga for the stuff. So definitely, easily made my list. And again, I sort of bundle them together as one package. I've done a variety Cause, of cause very they are, small. Right? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think so. I mean, although I think one of the things that is kind of a charm about them is. You know, is that they are different? It is that you can sure, but, but yeah. again, it's nine six three years multiversity, right? Whereas one project that has various facets. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But but even where say nineteen sixty three, in part because of what it's commenting on is Marvel Comics, um, sews that continuity together really tight. Where you've got cameos from other characters and things like that, like. Abbey's Gangland All Stars was I I read it around this exactly it's it's almost yeah, yeah. like uh, the DC first issue special collection that came out 
you know, yeah, yeah. where it's like three one shots that all seem like roughly configured at the same market or rather commenting on the configurations of that market. But, you know, sort of in the same way that you're kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, dangers of, you know, the, the dingbats of Danger Street is kind of sort of in the same wheelhouse as Atlas, but it's not, re- you know, it's yeah, I, the if, green you know, team but, is, but isn't, you know, that same sort of deal, I think. I mean, for what it's worth, just, just no, no, in I, no, I split like, pairs. But at the same time, like, I do think Kirby's first issue, like, because he did three, four issues? Yeah. Three issues. Right. Um, I think of those as like one project. <laughs> right. Which I think makes sense. Absolutely. So, you know. I get that, but but in that sense, in that way, it is sort of closer in that regard for me. Um, next on the list, uh, the book tour by Andy Watson, um, uh, which I adored. Uh, the sort of weird mix of uh, comedy and Kafka esque nightmare uh, that that really just keep bounding off of one another. I thought was. was Really, really um, fabulous. Uh, the hardest one to put on the list in some ways, uh, Gambling Apocalypse Keiji. And the reason why is, as you may remember, I went nuts about volume one, which really was probably a, the print collection here in America was probably the first three volumes or so is like 600 pages and is an extraordinary gambling manga about uh, literally life or death games of rock, paper, scissors that are, um, it's just extraordinary. Loved it so much. I pre-ordered that volume. That volume got here, I think maybe three or four weeks ago. And I was like, oh shit, it's been so long. I have to reread volume one. And so I'm midway through my reread of volume one and haven't made it to volume two. So it's really, it's one of those things where I was like, ah, I don't know if I can really technically call this, but you know, especially when you hear about some of the other stuff that I had to cut more from the sense of like, oh yeah, it could have really could have gone, um, you know, uh, either way in that sense, but, yeah, yeah. but, oh my God, that first volume. And I'm really have every confidence that the second volume is just going to completely blow my mind. Um, blank canvas, my so-called artist journey. I think the first several volumes of it came out last year. It concluded this year. It's by, uh, Akiko Hagishimura, who is, you know, did Tokyo Tarabara girls and uh, princess jellyfish this is like seven or eight volumes of how she became a manga artist that is like really just a fabulous read like so perfectly honestly my hat's off among other things to her for the creation of it but especially for the translators who who brought it into english because it has every volume has such a specific tone of ah, I don't know what to call it like slightly sad experience you know what I mean it's not it's it's not full on heartbreak and it's not full on cynicism but it move it moves just this delicate knife line um among those and that's got to be an amazing 
uh, act to do translation wise to bring that voice uh, into another language uh watakoi love is hard for otaku was kind of my big i think i bought the first volume for 99 cents and ended up tearing through the rest of it somewhere around that time uh was the point where i was realizing like i was moving away from the shonen or even the seinen manga and kind of finding myself being attracted to just flat out romance comics like japanese romance manga um watakoi is is a humor manga um, it's almost like um, Monthly Girls uh, Nozaku-kun, which is also kind of laid out with a gag strip and the gags all, you know, single page gags. But each one is sort of like a, a you know, builds for a chapter which tells a little story, but there's a punchline on the end of each page. And what really is just uh, the characters are... Um, I'm just I'm just deeply in love with all of them. So and it's also particularly I don't know if it would hit as hard in another uh, year, but it is it's basically about nerd friends hanging out in a way that is really honestly mostly um, non-toxic, in fact, and I think that that's part of what makes it incredibly charming is that you have a, a, a cosplayer, a lover of boys love manga, a um, regular old manga pervert and a video game player. And none of them are toxic, I guess, you know? And th I think sure. that that is them hanging out together. So I think on other years, the idea of like, oh, this is a wonderful fantasy of young 20-somethings with nerdy interests who can find, you know, awesome charismatic partners, you know, to hang out with. Um, but I think in 2020, it's just the idea of like, wow, people hanging out with each hanging other. Out with friends. I know. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Um this year was the year that I read something like 181 chapters of Haikyuu, the uh, volleyball manga that I dearly loved and have talked about on here. That absolutely was one of those like highlight reading experiences for me. And also new for me. I mean, Haikyuu wrapped up this year, um, but it, uh, you know, started has been like running it's that classic like it was new for me um but hariyuchi uh, Furudate's sports manga is just so um is so great it's got a lot it's got everything sort of good about sports manga as far as i'm concerned and and really none of the shit i guess you know um and also what i think is great is volleyball which has always been absolutely the least interesting sport in the world to me um and also seems like one of the weirdest sports you would try to translate into the the comics medium becomes absolutely fabulous in terms of somebody who knows how much a comics page relies on 
um, diagonal lines to create and break tension, you know, and therefore every page is just masterful in terms of commanding your attention, directing your eye and snapping and breaking lines of tension. So loved it. Uh, and then my last pick, my number 10, and again, very, very weird pick um, because it was published years ago and only recently, I think, came in back into print in America, if it's ever been in print. Um, but the uh, notorious, and I'm going to mangle the pronunciation of it, uh, Irutsu Dokuji, The Legend of the Overfiend. Do you happen to know what that is, Graham, or no? Because I actually do, and I don't know why. Have you talked about it before? I I don't think that I Cause, have. Because like, I, I, I know for one thing that it's such a famous title that at some point I've looked it up. Yes. But I also feel that you and I have talked about this. Maybe on the podcast, maybe not. Uh, maybe, maybe. it. I, I mean, I could see where... I'm not sure if I did talk about it here, although I think because it it was some, I think I might have mentioned it in passing. Among other things, I mentioned a few other quote unquote erotic manga that that fucked me up. But one of the things that's great for me reading it is uh, Toshio Maeda. It, the reason it is literally n- notorious, uh, the anime film that was made on it back in the 80s or 90s was kind of that's why I sort of felt like I bet you've seen part of this, Graham, because I'm sure when you were an art student, some snickering buddy of yours, you know, put popped in the videotape <laughs> just to make your eyeballs melt, you know, and um, it's. It's an extreme, an incredibly extreme manga that is about demonic invaders showing up on Earth. And in theory, they're in search of um, the mysterious human-demon hybrid that is going to bring about the new Dark Ages. But it's really more uh, a chance to have them have a lot of unbelievably disturbing sexual encounters and therefore is very much the um the reason why i think people would my my brother tim actually was like oh yeah you you haven't seen that i'm like yeah i've i've heard it's kind of disturbing this was like i don't know maybe 15 20 years ago he had a copy put it on and like within 15 minutes i'm like uh you know it's like some lesbian rape scene i'm like this is pretty disturbing. And he's like, uh, wait, it hasn't started yet. And then somebody, somebody's face splits in half. This is how I know that I, I know about it because I've talked to you about it before. Cause you've told me that story before. Oh, I have. Okay, good. I, that makes sense. So, so because I remember, I remember <laughs> this, this is the thing that maybe says more about how I remember stories or not remember stories. I remember in particular you being like, oh, no, 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 no. Your brother being like, just wait. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, I feel like it crystallizes so much about your relationship. <laughs> it is so true. It is so true. I think you're absolutely right. God help me. Uh, so, so, uh, so Toshio Maeda is literally known as the King of Tentacles or something. I, actually, I say literally. I should I should look it up. He is his 
the legend of the Overfiend has made him be known as essentially the the grandfather of hentai. And he himself apparently is willing to um, embrace that, which sort of makes sense because, you know, he's it's yeah, it to me. It's, it's kind it, of like it's a name. Yeah, like, it's a name. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, OK, sure. If if I will, if I will go. If this is what you want me to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then let me then let me be it. But yeah, he uh, he opened. In fact, he has opened his official website, the Tentacle Club, where users can sign up and view his full Are, manga. He's telling. Is this real? The, the, according to Wikipedia, so um, view his full length manga for a small monthly fee of five hundred yen. This is, I'm sure, un, sadly untranslated. Uh, Maeda has also made the opportunity possible available to the public to come stay at his apartment and have the opportunity to discuss manga, anime, and Japan in general with him over a beer for a small fee, together with a tour of Akihabara and various otaku hotspots in Tokyo. Um, yeah, where's the part where he mentions the fact that they, they call him the right tentacle master? Uh, in a blog interview, he stated that he would like Tentacle Master inscribed on his tombstone. Now, <laughs> there is a tombstone, isn't I it? Yeah, absolutely, exactly. We we stand Toshio Maeda's uh, tombstone. I so one of the things that was really interesting in reading all four volumes in relatively close proximity because the somewhat nebulous American publisher Faku Press had uh, brought them into um, print and digital editions um, is that Maida had more or less gone into earlier in his career um, uh, moved into areas where he was working for an adult magazine um God, I'm, no, I was looking at a completely different article. Essentially, basically, he thought that the restrictions, that some of the things that produce such amazing manga in the shonen magazines or even the seinen magazines, he wanted more freedom uh, and fewer restrictions. Earlier this year, I had read Orange Kimiguri Road, which is kind of a classic from this same era that is kind of this touchstone of essentially psychic teenager upskirt stories that were unbelievably popular. I mean, you know, not just Orange Kimiguri Road, but there's a lot of like, I'm a teenager with wacky psychic powers. I've got a woman that I'm in love with that I can't reveal my amazing psychic powers to. Now there's going to be hijinks. Maybe some. Maybe there's going to be body switching. Maybe someone's going to turn into a panda. You know, it's there's like there's all these little substrations. And reading Legends of the Overfiend for me, it starts off as essentially almost a a, a punk refutation of that. Like, literally, the first appearance is a, a yokel kid coming to a new school um, who's got mystical powers. But, you know, by the end of the first installment, he has more or less rescued the teenage girl from demon rape, but then is more or less hypnotized 
the young nubile school teacher with his magical penis and is more or less sexually enslaving her. So there's a lot of it starts off as a really mean parody, I guess. And amazingly enough, as it goes on through volumes two and three, it more or less becomes a really it's amazing if you've read enough manga like like if you read romance manga there's always that because it's seasonal there's like oh here's the summer episode where we all go out to the beach and the hero is like oh my goodness am i finally going to get to go you know see the heroine in a bikini you know and oh here we are at the onsen am i finally going to what if i see what if her towel drops when we're going to the hot tubs or whatever legend of the overfiend somehow manages to have those episodes and then makes them so ridiculously sexually depraved that you kind of can't help but laugh. Um, I mean, I found myself laughing a lot through volumes two and three, which was amazing considering how deeply aghast I was at volume one. Like volume one struck me as kind of the, the, the depths of nihilism, but, you know, with boobies and, and like kind of, how do I put it? It it really was the, the, it's the equivalent of reading sort of the Japanese version for me of underground comics, except not like in the way that American underground comics sort of all tend to look kind of sketchy and spurious. But, you know, the way that our crumb stuff managed to really stand out by, by dint of both the sexual depravity and also the quality of the cartooning. Um, uh, one of the things that's amazing about Legend of the Overfiend is very much uh, how much it is a, a a very wicked piss take of an incredibly popular form of manga at the time that for whatever reason I clearly missed when I was being uh, traumatized by that movie with my brother. But also, weirdly enough, in reading up on it, many people have become obsessed by... Because the there's a whole section in the, the anime uh, film that takes place after the apocalypse, essentially, and is filled with insane demon creatures and people, you know, stumbling around in the ruins and more or less hitting kind of a tone of like you know, Mad Max, but with magical flying penises and boobies. And so therefore is like catnip to a certain level of consumer. Um, weirdly enough, Legend of the Overfiend, by the time that Maida gets to it, because I think at one point he either gets distracted or he doesn't get a, the, the chance to finish his, um, his magnum opus, uh, he more or less, again, like a guy who's willing to put Tentacle Master on his grave, is very quick to be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll play up the apocalypse. Yeah, you, you guys wanted an apocalyptic thing? OK, I, I can spin this out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll have sex with his granddaughter. I don't know. Do you guys want that? Is that a thing you think you might like? You know, and so it's... Um, by the time the series gets to the end, it's more or less been um, bent through the prism of time and fan appreciation and probably a guy trying not to starve. So there's a very different tone to it. 
I I do like that you're kind of saying, like this is is unadulterated filth, but it's it's not artistically pure unadulterated filth, <laughs> and and I feel that you know he kind of sold out. No, well, so the the thing that was interesting was uh, weirdly, I thought it was artistic filth. Rereading it, it strikes me as actually more artistically uh, compromised pills. What? No, 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 no. As a really wickedly funny, savage parody of kids' manga expectation. It's it's kind of like a super filthy version of Super Duper Man, you know, for manga genres, right? It's a sure, yeah. But the, which again is why I sort of compare it to the underground comics. It's just that as time goes on, because it ends up being, I think, unfinished for whatever reasons, and then he gets the chance to come back and finish it, more or less because it has become this crazy pop staple. He he sort of embraces that, and I don't think that it's really artistically compromised. What's weird is that the intentions are such that even though it feels like a a ring where it starts out in a nihilistic place and ends up in a nihilistic place after moving through sort of a weirdly almost like kind of letting you see the wink and the nod that's happening behind it. Like it moves through its sex pistols phase and then ends back up at, I don't know, Norwegian death metal. Like, but, you know, but Marilyn Manson version where it's kind of like, yeah, 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 sure. You know, I can play the hits. And so it's nihilistic and cynical in a completely different way. You know what I mean? And so sure. so it's fascinating to me. Part of what's amazing is um, and I'm sure all of this makes me sound incredibly insipid, but like. You know, those people who like stare at like an all black canvas and then walk out being like, oh, no, but it's all about the gradations. You know what I mean? Like, it's all about the I didn't expect there to be so many different stripes and flavors of intention, at least as I perceived it shifting within a work of, you know, basically proto hentai. You know, that then more or less has to deal with itself returning to an entire sort of wicked genre that it spawned and being kind of, you know, the grandfather of it, you know, like, I I don't know, it's hard because part of me is like, it. like the guy who died this year, this week, the original actor who played Boba Fett, right? Sure. You know, he... Played Boba Fett and then spent a huge long chunk of his life uh, on the convention circuit. Um, And one of the things that was really fascinating uh, that I read about sort of super quickly was one of the people who was close to him was the kid who played Boba Fett in Attack of the Clones who also hit the convention circuit. And because they more or less played the same character were seated next to each other and became, I mean, essentially what happened was the kid was like, yeah, when I was a kid on the convention circuit, he looked out for me 
And then the last few years, as he was getting old and a little, things were more challenging, I felt compelled to look out for him. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there's, there, and I find something that's really incredibly human about that. And it's weird how much I feel something very similar. There's some sense of humanity and frailty and weakness as you see a work of art that reflects an artist as they move through these different stages in a way of how they approach their work and what's happening in their life. So, so that, in, that's my, that's my 10th pick. Uh, and in case for people who are keeping track, that's 2000 AD three uh, indie picks. If you consider the book tour indie, I, maybe you'd consider it a mainstream publisher. And I then mean, it's, it's indie. It's, it's, uh, that's what I IGW, think. Yeah. Um, and then, and then five different manga volumes. So weirdly enough, my top 10 ended up having no Marvel or DC on it, which again made that me think is, of... Is that weird? Like that seems right based on the conversations we've had this year. I I mean, I guess so. In some ways, I, mean, I move really forward. Like, uh, Immortal Hulk aside, like what are you even reading from Marvel or DC on a regular basis these days? Well, that that's actually a good question. So... Um, if we expand it to 15, uh, what ends up being thrown in there is Superman Smashes the Clan, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Tempest, which I don't, which was maybe collected this year, but really came out before, but it's when I read it, it was this year. Um, Fantastic Four, Grand Design, Issue 2, which again, might've come out last year, but I only read it this year. And then weirdly, um, the Avengers West Coast Epic Collection Tales to Astonish, which is the end of the Steve Englehart run. Yeah. If you expand beyond that, that's when Immortal Hulk comes in, Jimmy Olsen comes in. Um, in terms of like a trashy read that I realize I enjoy tremendously, Savage Avengers is on there. Like that's the... Yes. You Con really did love Savage Avengers. I really did. I really did. I was like, man, I can't man, I can't believe I spent so much time tussling with Graham over Jason Aaron's Avengers, considering that, you know, it We should have been fighting about Savage Avengers. Exactly, You're right. exactly. Well, except it's easier because it it's harder in a way for me to defend Savage Avengers. I, I don't even know if it's that. Anyway, it probably chunk of it is is just that it feels like Avengers double shipped and Savage Avengers, you know, disappeared for a while. Such a huge chunk and has only started being, um, you know, is hitting the stands again. So that. Uh, Peter Porker, Spectacular Spider-Man. Because I'm reading stuff that doesn't necessarily come out the same year, uh, weirdly, in the big list, um, Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader uh, hit because that was something that I really enjoyed a lot. Um, but also, you know, more indie stuff, like that that second season of Green Lantern um, mm -hmm. which I was not I, expecting. I forgot, yeah, I forgot that you liked that so much. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was great. Um, let me make sure that I've got the artist here. Give me just one second. Uh, I spent a lot of time 
fretting about whether or not to include uh, Shadow of the Batgirl by Sarah Kuhn and Nicole uh, Zhu, or Guzhu, um, which I thought was a great YA take on... I, you were fretting because you know Sarah? Well, I know... Yeah, exactly. I was fretting because it... Because I know Sarah and I really want to hype for her, but it also didn't make it to the top 15. I spent a lot of time being like, should I put it there? Uh, to the extent that it it's not there for me, it's probably because I didn't get a chance to give it to my niece and see her eyes completely light up and see her go gaga for it. Sure. Um, you know, and, and there is a, it, and in that sense, there's that extension of that's not necessarily quote unquote, the book for me, you know? Um, but it was, it was very good and it was very close. Um, the, the three volumes of blue flag that I read, uh, which I've talked about, which is, uh, again, another, um, manga romance comic that I thought is just really great. Um, and then I really did come very close to assembling my top five Japanese erotic manga um, list, which I decided not to do. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was in that sense, for me, it was a lot of fun putting together the list because I kept track of it it was kind of like, oh God, okay, well, let me look through and see what's literally everything that I read and kind of being like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, that was great. And even having one or two moments being like, wait, what's that title? Like, I do not remember. I was like, <laughs> Downfall? What the hell is Downfall? And then looking it up and being like, oh, right, no, Downfall was actually incredibly good. Um, what is Downfall? Uh, Downfall is the manga by the guy who um, is doing... Oh, wait. Is that, Downfall is not the one about the creator who... Neo Asano's work about, yeah, the manga creator who is more or less... The one, like, the one you recommended to me. Did I recommend that to you? Did you did read not? it? It probably was. Oh, you got to look at it. Because I don't even remember you mentioning it, which is not a good sign. This is great. I'm really... Wait, I, have to, I have to look it up. I have to look at it to see if... This is what we should have done, yes. Graham. Oh, oh, it was, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it was, it was um, yeah, it was terrible. You yeah. really didn't like it. Is that the one that Chloe wants me to, yes, to like? That's that's the one where she like wants to sit you down and have a conversation with you about like toxic masculinity and objectifying women. But yeah, but that's what the book's about. Oh, God. yeah, and, but Jeff, it's like not in a good way. <laughs> Well, it's, oh, all right, <laughs> fine. Anio Asano is that, not that a guy who does anything in a good way in that sense. But okay, no, okay, yeah. But the idea that it it uh, he learns anything uh, is is uh, I would I would argue against. Mm -hmm. No, I think. Well, I don't know. I, I would have to go back and reread it. But I'm very much like. Yeah, I don't. I I still think we're on the same page. I think maybe, but maybe not. It may be that classic. No, that's the point. And you're like, I know that. Thinking back on the conversation, I'm like, oh right, maybe that was my point. Was that there? There's something that that the that the creator is showing you the situation that the person can't get out of, but knows that it's the situation 
even though they're presenting it like they don't know, they clearly know. Anyway, it's fine. I'm actually really relieved. I was actually, there have been times since you've mentioned that to me where I very no, much I, fretted I, I about like, what, what manga is Chloe going to lecture me on? I thought it was terrible. You know, if you did, I totally blocked. Which is that's understandable because I you were like you should read this and I read it and it was terrible. Wow, um, that maybe is you didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. Strange but true. A book I got out of the local library um, before lockdown happened, uh, and I didn't read it because I had so much longer to put it back because they closed the library. <laughs> <laughs> when I finally read, it, I was like, oh no. Oh wow, I don't think you did talk about it. Oh no, listeners, do you remember Graham breaking this news to me? I I personally think our top ten should have been like. Top 10 fights we tried to avoid this year. You know, that would be, <laughs> that, that would be what, pretty amazing. Like, I think everyone else always likes to hear us disagree in books more than, like, I, I think it's more fun when we actually disagree as opposed to, like I said, when it's one of us likes it more than the other. Yeah. Like, like right. one of us likes it, the other one really doesn't like it. That's yeah. an interesting conversation to have and a fun conversation to have. But like, if one of us likes it and the other one is apathetic. Right. That's just like, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's, I mean, I do my case, I, you know, part of me is like, well, let's at least try and, uh, and and rally a strong offense. But I think there was some point, maybe it was just during month eight of the great Tom King Wars, where I was just like, I just, I don't know. I mean, like, people are like, this is terrific. You sounded like you were on the verge of tears, Jeff. But I was just like, I don't, I, I, think, I think this year has been hard enough. I'm hoping that chances are good if we return to something like some level of normalcy where we can once again pretend that human civility is a thing that exists, that we can actually start tearing it up. You and I are civil to each other. We are. No, we are. Even when we're fiercely disagreeing, except for that one time when you were just brutally mean about Grant Morrison's JLA, uh, comparing it to the Avengers. But apart from yeah, that... I, 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 was, I was being mean about Grant Morrison's JLA, definitely. You really were, Graham. That was brutal. You were like, you know, Jeff, I went back and read the Avengers based on your comparison, and I have to say, you're wrong no, in I... every particular... You know, and that was your that was your first sentence, and then it that went on for another twenty five minutes. My, I I guess what I was trying to say was I wasn't being mean about Morrison's JLA. Oh, sorry. Yes, Avengers. yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> sorry. Yes, sorry. Yes. Good point. Yes, that is true. You weren't being mean to the horsewhip. You were being mean to me with, with your use yes. of the horsewhip. Thank yes. you. Let's let's get it right. <laughs> Ew, Mr. Syntax. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, Jeff, yeah. I've, I've got a question. Sure. You said earlier on that, like, we've got so much to get through this episode. Right. What are we talking about? And we've done our about? top tens, and I'm wondering what else, like, is on your agenda. And I'm I'm not being... No, uh, no, no, no. Like, I'm right. genuinely curious. Because I can't think of a lot of things that have happened. It, you know, I feel, I, I think you're right. Oh, there was one thing that I want, wanted to mention, which is my my pick for the manga adaptation of the year. Um, which has to do with, I forget, I know that you read the manga poverty volume that we talked about a few years back which was pretty great and did i i think i bought it for you and you read this was several years back uh hirohiko araki's manga theory and practice 
volume one. Did I get that for you? That's, the, uh, it definitely says familiar. I honestly don't remember if you bought it for me or not. Okay. So manga in theory and practice, the craft of creating manga, which was a fascinating read because he puts forward all kinds of rules about what works, what doesn't work. You know, how do you create a gripping story? What's a thing that's blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, like, 20, 30 years ago, there, uh, Viz did a reprint or at least a semi-short uh, collection of even a mon monkey can draw manga, which was a humor strip that um, more or less explained and mocked manga tropes, um, which is incredibly educational uh, in some and some people who read that really were like, oh, okay, now I have x-ray vision. Manga in theory and practice, the craft of creating manga, uh, is kind of an excellent volume for understanding. Like, I don't think I've ever really quite recovered in the sense of being able to read shonen, most shonen jump manga as a result of it. Because one of the things that he talks about is essentially... You know, what's something that you, you know, how do you more or less create a situation in which there's always conflict? You put characters in a tournament and you get to show how a character grows and develops. But what's also great about a tournament is it's a structured way in which you can introduce the antagonist. And as the stakes go up, of course, everything gets more loaded and fraught. But one of the things that he talked about, which is one of those like, you know, the manga equivalent of Wally Woods, like 22 panels that always works, is he talks about how one of the great things that you can do in manga in a competition is you can bring in more or less the hero. You get to define the hero by their their opposites that they run into. But what's great is you can show their opposite as not necessarily the villain or the true antagonist. And one of the things that you can do is if you get a character that is incredibly popular, um, you can more or less flip them and have them come over to the other side and join the hero and essentially be the hero's ally. So this is the kind of thing you see in, you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventures and, you know, Dragon Ball Z and a whole variety of stuff in which you, you one piece, you know, you create a character, seems like they're an antagonist. They more or less end up being won over by the hero's pure heart. And it's a great way to also more or less win over the audience's heart. So in that regard, the tournament structure, having your enemies that then become your allies, I, I want to submit to you that the best manga adaptation of 2020 is The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, which I just finished watching <laughs> the last episode of last night and absolutely 100% hits almost all of those notes and, and does it fabulously. So... It's... I love that. I love, I love, love, love that. You know that I loved uh, the Queen's Gambit a lot, and I'm very happy that you did as well. <laughs> I, I, it, I, I knew you had said you're like, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, it's really good. It was such a great read, uh, great watch. Um, 
and so enjoyable and a, and such a weird like I mean I really want to read the book of course to figure yeah. out how much they managed to how faithful they were where they where they deviated from it but there was just so much that was so well done and really was kind of like shonen manga was a great battle strip that also you know gave you all kinds of awesome fantasy fulfillment scenes and sequences and stuff you know for for especially for the ladies but not exclusively for the ladies really so good oh my god well yeah so that was great um we just wrapped that last night and uh i was like wow i'm so glad we wrapped this up because i have to talk about it in manga right now and 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 bore graham some more um so that, that, that was it. I, I was wondering where the hell you were going, and I loved that you landed there. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I, I I thought you might appreciate that. Uh, did you want to talk about, I mean, there's the DC title announcements, right? There were more of those in the whole Infinite Frontier. Okay, so it, yeah. So Infinite Frontier was announced yesterday by me. Yes. Thanks. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Um, <laughs> Infinite Frontier is the... The, it's essentially like the rebirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the Nets rebirth. It's the Nets relaunch of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, it is coming. At, Infinite Frontier itself is is the name of a one shot that is coming out at the very beginning of March and has just like a metric shit ton of mm-hmm. of shorts in it that are setting up like the next year's worth of DC books. They. Uh, what's more interesting to me than that, even though like. I am going to read the shit out of that book. I am really excited about it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a DC fan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Give me, you know, basically Josh Williamson show running a, a one shot where he's like, okay, and this is how we're restarting the DC universe. And importantly, making it more of a positive place again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said. And I don't think we're going to do it now, but there's a lot to be said about the fact that this will be the second relaunch in a row where the theme is now it's more positive and hopeful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But but nonetheless, you know, I'm I'm very much into the one shot. Uh, I feel from what Josh said about it, you can draw certain implications about how death metal is going to end, mm-hmm. uh, which are interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... What's more interesting than the content, even for me, is the fact that DC is yet again fucking with their formats. So we've got backups back in comics again, mm-hmm. an, anth- an ongoing anthology series mm-hmm. coming out. Uh, and that is, don't get me wrong, do I think that the Swamp Thing book with Rampy and Mike Perkins is going to be great? I do. Like, I've read the Future State issue and it's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm excited about Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman. I think that Mariko Tamaki taking over Detective is going to be great with Dan Mora. You know, but at the same time, I'm also kind of into the fact that Robin is going to be a backup strip in Batman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that seems like fun to me. I am less excited about the Joker getting an ongoing series. Oh, but... really? Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't... I... Did you not know that? No, no, I did not know. James Tynan and, and Gillian Marsh are doing a, a Joker ongoing. Oh, that's weird. I saw I saw Williamson mention it in passing, and I assumed that it was an extension of Tinian's stuff. I somehow read so quickly. I thought it was in an 
either another Batman book or the ongoing Batman book. I did not. I did not realize. Okay. Huh. Yeah. It, it's it's a uh, uh, it's an ongoing series. The 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 setup is basically there's a big uh, terrorist attack in Gotham that gets pinned on the Joker, and he goes on the run because he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Is is the other thing? He like he is not actually responsible for it, and he goes on the run. Uh, and he is pursued by James Garden. So mm-hmm. James Garden is, in theory, the co-protagonist of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm i done with the Joker. I really am. Sure. I really am. The idea of giving him an ongoing series is just like, uh, <laughs> that's got a punchline as a, as a backup strip as well, mm. is, is in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm look okay, so I'm looking at the the creative lineup of Infinite Frontier issue zero. Josh Rollinson, Scott Snyder, James Tynan, and John Timms are doing the framing sequence, mm. which is the Spectre and Wonder Woman. Mm. Brian Michael Bendis and David Marquez are doing Justice League. Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Letha Martinez, uh, along with Joelle Jones, are doing a Wonder Woman uh, mm. strip. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, Josh said in the interview that the Wonder Woman strip in there is not Diana. Hmm. It's Nubia and the new character that Joel Jones is introducing in Future State. Hmm. Jeff Johnson and Todd Nock are doing Stargirl. Joshua Williamson and Alex Maleev are doing something that he will not say what it is. Hmm. Uh, Jim Stein and jo- uh, Jorge Jimenez are doing the Batman strip. Phil Kenneth Johnson and Jamal Eigel are doing the Superman strip in there. Hmm. Uh, and there's something else, because uh, oh yeah, uh, Josh and Howard Porter are doing uh, Flash story, and Jeffrey Thorne and someone are doing a Green Lantern story in there as well. Isn't Jeff Johns in there at some point, or did you mention that? Yeah, he's doing Star Girl. Oh, ah, yeah. right, right, Star Girl, right, right. You mentioned it, and then I blipped right over it. Okay, um, yeah, huh? Well, I mean, that's so. Is it as that sounds like? A lot it's of creators. It's pages. Uh-huh. Uh, it's five ninety nine. Hmm. So, boof. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm into it. It's it's very like it's it's very much my type of thing. Oh, there's a Teen Titans story in there as well. Like uh, for the relaunch of Teen Titans, which is turning it into Avengers Academy. Everyone, it's literally called Teen Titans Academy because they're not hiding it. Hmm. Um. Like I'm into it, it. But again, I'm a 46 year old DC fan from way back when. Right. You know, like I think I do think the more interesting things are the creative team choices mm-hmm. uh, and the format changes. Mm-hmm. I think those those are more more newsworthy. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, DC does this every five years. Right. Like like really in. 2006, you had one year later. In 2011, you had the new 52. In 2016, you had DC Rebirth. Mm-hmm. So we are literally due another limelight reset. Wow. And that's what this is. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm into it, but it, you know, they shouldn't be concerned whether I'm into it. They should be concerned whether the people who are not picking up their books are into it. Right. The other thing that's interesting DC's line in March is significantly smaller than normal. Hmm. It's like thirty odd books. Wow, well, that's yeah, a good manageable number, I think, for the most part. Um, and that's—I mean, that's that's you know—we used to have the new fifty-two. Yes, you know, 
there were yeah. I think it's like 36 books 38 books mm-hmm. um, and part of the deal with the new backups is they're killing some books and putting them as backups mm-hmm. like Justice League Dark is done and it's going to be a backup in the new Justice League book hmm. um, and Robin is now going into Batman uh, what are the other backups Punchline is in Joker I'm trying to remember what other ones they've actually announced. And I, I don't mean to... Is this... Um, are these going to be comics with a higher page count for a higher yes. price? Higher yes. page count for... They're going to, they're going to be 40-page comics. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, for, I think, three ninety nine or four ninety nine. Hmm. Okay. Uh, probably four ninety nine because three ninety nine is the price that they are right now, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. so so let's say four ninety nine, but don't like, don't hold me to it because I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's I mean that's uh, that's very interesting because um, part of me so, was yeah. like yeah, mm-hmm. and and they're also like so so I said they, they're you know they're doing an anthology and that's interesting they're doing something called Batman Urban Legends, which is uh, replacing some other titles again. Mm-hmm. So Batman Urban Legends is going to have a Red Hood story in there, mm-hmm. uh, written by, of all people, Chip Zdarsky. Ah, right. Hmm. Um, and then there's a, a Grifter story. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm looking at the, the lineup right now. So Batman Red Hood by Chip Zdarsky and Eddie Barrows. Uh, Grifters is going to be Matthew Rosenberg and Ryan Benjamin. Mm-hmm. There is a Harley Quinn story which ties in with the new harley quinn series hmm. um stephanie phillips is writing that she's also writing the new harley quinn book oh the new harley quinn book is drawn by riley rosmo hmm. and looks great like vis- visually looks great um uh but yeah so the, the harley quinn one in the anthology is harley sorting out her her relationship with poison ivy so in other words firmly playing into fan service and outsiders is in there now Hmm. So they've killed the Outsiders book and the Red Hood book, and they've put both of them into this new ongoing anthology series. Well, you know, I you, one would hope that a Batman, I mean, it's sort of a distant Batman family, uh, but well, you know, but but yeah, I mean, they're mm-hmm. all of the, the books they've killed are Batman family books, and they put them in them into a Batman fam, yes. family fam, yeah, anthology. Yeah, yeah. That would seem to make sense. Absolutely. Uh, I really like anthologies, so mm-hmm. I really hope this is a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a what's the price point of this? Seven ninety nine per issue. So I think that really counts against it, but we'll see. Seven ninety nine. Is it sixty four pages? Eighty pages? Did yep. you tell me sixty four? Uh, I think sixty four pages. It's yeah. sixty four pages. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, you know. Maybe because seven ninety nine is is basically just under the cost of three issues of comic, and it's just over the right. line of three pages of comic. But like just seven ninety nine a pop is is a lot for yeah. real. Yeah, yeah, it really uh, is. Yeah. I think I think that might hurt it, but maybe not because again, maybe the people who are buying these books are buying these books, and will be like, well, that's great. Like now I'm for the cost of you know. Two and a half regular issues, I get three issues of comic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. But I, like I said, I like anthologies. I like backups. I hope this sort of thing is a success for them. You know, other than that, it, I think everyone expected a relaunch. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's one of those things where 
unless you're excited by the particular creative teams, uh, I don't think there's much new here. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's always one of the tough problems about selling relaunch events that come directly out of a previous event. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of, yeah, it's really hard without giving it away, like the the level to which and I and I do feel like Marvel is the poster child for, you know, throwing goodwill uh out the window. But, you know, the the whole transition from like, oh, what's the world gonna be like after Secret War, you know, was kinda seemed like it was gonna be a thing. But you can't really say like you know, now that Doctor Doom's a hermaphrodite, you know, you just it doesn't. Well, that's so. That's one of the things that's interesting uh, in talking to Josh uh, for this story that ran in THR. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like the framing sequence for the this this zero issue is uh, Wonder Woman and the Spectre, right? And then they released like a variant cover, which, and this is pure speculation. Mm-hmm. Like, no one said anything to me, and I don't want to make it seem like I know something that I don't. Right. But variant cover to me looks like Wonder Woman is the Spectre. Mm. Mm. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Which would seem like a to, to you know a fairly dramatic end to to me- death metal. Mm-hmm. 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 You know? Um, we'll see. Right. But it would also explain why there's a new Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, we we'll see what happens. But it it's it is a problem, and I think that the future state, you know, two month future state thing that DC's doing, mm-hmm. in many ways, is kind of buying time for that. Right. You know, so you're not soliciting. Here's the new status quo of the DCU when you're on issue four of Death Metal. Right. How many issues is Death Metal? So this issue that I bought that I it's, haven't read it's is. Seven. It's oh my seven. god, so this wasn't even issue. the last issue. No. Wow. There's one more issue after Jesus this one. Jesus Christ. Which um, I kind of come. thought, but they didn't say. Okay, huh. Yeah. Wow. But here's here's the thing, and I have to look it up on Comixology. Comixology does this in a, in a way that's better than anything. Because uh, it, it puts the uh, it puts death metal and the one-shots together mm. uh, as one series. And because I, I was like, it's seven, death metal is seven issues. Except it's not. Mm. With the one shots, because it's more like the one shots. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine one shots for death metal. I think that's part of how I missed issue six. Was my eyeball scanned it, and I just assumed that it was another death metal tie-in, and I was like, eh, "Okay, fine." And then it was like, yeah, "Oh wait, there, no, that's been... the actual issue." So, yeah. wow, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, it's genuinely ridiculous to me mm-hmm. that you have so many tie-ins mm-hmm. uh, for this, mm-hmm. you know. But and, and also, it's ridiculous that so many of the tie-ins have actually included information that should have been in the main series. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm really glad the extent and, to and which maybe, you tipped maybe me to that. Part of it is maybe part of it is. You know, I've gotten used to Red Sky crossover books mm-hmm. or, or, you know, the crossovers where, you know, let's be honest, they don't really count. Right. But, but oh boy, <laughs> like re- reading some of these one shots, I mean, like, shouldn't this have been in the main book? Right. 
Like, right. is this just an issue of the main book? The, the um, what's it called? Trinity Crisis, mm-hmm. one shot. Mm-hmm. Legitimately is an issue of the main series, just yeah. like different arcs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 100% is. Uh, but, you know, should, should spin-offs from crossover events actually count? Or should they be throwaway? Discuss. Right. Uh, you know, I think I think for me, part of what's hard about, like you said, our expectations are kind of that they're sort of red sky crossovers. I mean, some and sometimes they're not. I think the thing that was hard for me is I feel like for better or for worse, it's it's you shouldn't do both. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine if you're going to have, like, Red Sky crossovers. It's like, oh, okay, you can ignore it. And it's okay if you have ones like, oh, I don't know. More every chapter. Yeah, exactly. You know? But to have it where when you pick up a book, you're not sure if you're getting, you know, a progression of the storyline and to what extent you're getting an anthology of different dark multiverse stories you know, where it's like, oh, and in this one, Hawkman wears a bowling shirt. You know, like, it's just sort of... Yeah. Uh, it's kind of nuts, because they don't really... They don't really explain which ones, quote-unquote, count and which ones don't. Exactly. And so you know, at that Because some point, of them are. There are, like, Tales of the Dark Multiverse books in there. Right. Where it's... They, they, I mean, they really... Not only do they not matter, they kind of read like people who haven't been even paying attention to the main series. <laughs> right. And then you have ones that are legitimately chapters of the main series right right exactly and there's no real way to tell and so i think that that kind of does the people are either all in or they're all out um but but it doesn't necessarily kind of have to be that way like it sort of does feel like i mean part of me is like maybe that is the future like people are like you know what everyone knows you don't buy the red sky crossovers um also i think with metal uh it's weird that it's a it's a crossover event that doesn't really seem to cross over with the main books right (laughs) right exactly like i think literally justice league is the only book that's had actual Mm -hmm, mm tie-ins so everything else it's sort of it that's the other part is is i mean once it's even separated out of the main books where it's not even the red skies are happening in the main titles themselves, you're kind of like, why should I pick this up? And it's like, and later you're like, Oh, because the event doesn't make sense without it. And you do have that weird feeling of like, wait, isn't that breaking a rule somehow? But you know, I mean, I, I get the sense of the need to try I appreciate the fact in a way that they're trying something new where they're sort of trying to mix it up and do levels of, hmm, you can sort of choose your level of involvement, I think. I just wish that it was better telegraphed so you could actually do that because instead it really does seem like, you know, depending on how generous you are, either kind of... uh, uh, opt in, opt out. They're assuming that you're at the stands picking them up, and you're making the informed call with the comic book reader, with with you know the store owner telling you what's what, or that they're playing on 
you know, the inherent OCD of most of so many comic book collectors and everyone's going to try and pick up everything, you know, (laughs) all the more so because one of them is actually going to have the story of the Robin King and, you know, but you're not going to necessarily know which one until you until you have the issue in your hands. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I it's 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 it's. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know because the other thing is about death metal, and I complained about this very much when it started. Is it is something that like a whole swathe of books led into, mm-hmm. and then as you said, it did end up be like weirdly hermetically sealed from everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, like the Justice League books, the, the the Flash. You know, oh, there was the whole year of the villain crossover, which was line wide, right? That in theory led into this story. Mm-hmm. But then all these other books continued after it. But, you know, I, I legitimately think that we're going to get to the end of Death Metal and they're going to do some form of like, okay, but, you know, at least some of those stories couldn't have happened. Right. Like, how do you get a year of Wonder Woman stories after Year of the Villain? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if you follow the chronology of Year of the Villain, Year of the Villain leads right up to Wonder Woman disappearing, which leads right into Death Metal. And then one Wonder Woman may die at the end of Death Metal. <laughs> so where did that year of stories that were published in the Wonder Woman comic Ooh, come from? Well, tune, you know? tune like, in for James Tinian's crossover event of 2024 that explains it slash you know. No, no, exactly. Like yeah. it, it's going to be one of those things where you just have to accept that, like, okay, things got fucked up, right? right. You know, I, th- I think it is. I don't think they're ever going to be able to properly explain it. Other, the only other alternative is death metal ends with everyone being like, "Well, I'm glad that's over. Nothing changed." Right, and you know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because we because the year of the villain books were literally a year ago, which means we've had a year's worth of comics featuring all these characters and the only way that could be true is if death metal ends with none of these things none of these characters haven't been changed in any way whatsoever i mean let's face it it is really hard not to give the like dc just seems like in that classic like you know comic book parable that we all love like the phoenix that has to rise from the ashes of the old bird. There is such a feeling that that DC has been such an utter car crash this year in ways that hopefully interesting things will come out of it. But but taken on its on the whole for what it is, it's such a mess. It's such a ridiculous mess. It it's fair to say that. Those people, and actually I'm including myself in here, who actually think about the continuity of DC, mm-hmm. have to have thrown their hands up right? this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like last year when you started realizing that, you know, all of the year of the villain stuff, which again, crossed over into every book in the superhero line. That's right. Was leading into a crossover event that would be ignored by the rest of the line. Right, right. You know, you've got to just be like, ah, well, okay. Well, and I... Let, let us never talk about that. Either. Right, exactly. I Hypertype. Do think that it... Right, hypertype. I do think in some ways it's a, it's a... It is probably good for DC that Dan DiDio is gone. I don't necessarily know what I, that's going to I, lead to I, after, but... 
I, I, I will say this. I think it's very good that Marie Jevons is replacing Bob Harris. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean that. I would. You know? I think that's a very easy statement to go sign. But I, I, something I would love, and it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But now that they have quite clearly abandoned their whole um, new timeline of DC that they talked about at last year's New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. and they even put up on the screen for a little bit, I'd love them to actually just release it. Mm. You mean like, in, in the pitch format? You mean or yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd just be like, okay, this this never is going to happen. But we, you know, we teased it and we put it up on a screen for people to see. And so here's what, what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm going to pivot off that really quickly and uh, say what, repeat what I said on Twitter this week. One of my favorite things I read this week was the DC End of the Eras mm-hmm. collection. Mm-hmm. DC 80s End of the Eras, which is a 520-page collection of, honestly, just like a random selection, <laughs> early 1980s stuff from DC with... Uh, they're called new essays, but they're like two-page, you know, reminiscences mm-hmm. from like uh, Jim Tomatis and Andy Kubert, uh, uh, Elliot Magan. Uh, it's curated by Paul Levitz. The comics in there are great, mm-hmm. like legit. They've got some really, really good comics in there. Uh, it's got like Detective Comics 500, two issues of The Flash. Uh, Action Comics is there. There's a couple of issues of Wonder Woman around 311, mm-hmm. 312. Michigan was writing, uh, but it's also got like Super Friends in there, GI Combat's in there, Weird War Tales is in there, Brave and the Bull 200 is in there, mm. uh, you know, Time Warp from 1980 is in there. Wow. Uh, but at the very end, it has the first official publication of Alan Moore's Twilight pitch. And the full thing. Right. The full thing, which I can't believe they published. Yeah, I kind of can't believe either. Although I feel like we're coming at this for different reasons. <laughs> no, no, I think we're coming at it for the same reason. Oh, okay. Like, I think it's bad sportsmanship to publish it. To be perfectly honest. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I loved reading it. I genuinely did. Sure. Uh, I think it would have been a terrible idea to publish it. <laughs> oh my god! It's it's amazing how. Uh, so, I mean, because I, I have not read it in the book, but assuming that I was not led astray, yeah. you know. Well, okay, so I, the reason I was saying the fool thing is I have read a version of this before, but the version I read was basically just a plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. And the version in the book includes a lengthy preamble mm-hmm. in which he is, and this is, you know, really dramatically in the bad sportsmanship, and yet I kind of love it for him. <laughs> like, Talking glowingly about his Watchmen deal. Yes. How important it is to do merchandise to D- for DC. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I think I have read the whole pitch. Like, it was passed around in that sort of Samizdat kind of way, sort of the same way that Kirby's, you know, photocopies of Kirby's Prisoner and stuff, you know, you could yeah, find. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it was one of those things that, like, you could find on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm pretty sure I read the whole thing, and it really does run the the gamut if nothing else you'll never really look at billy bats in the same way again that's for sure oh but, yeah like legitimately i think uh the actual comic that he's proposing mm-hmm. would have been like a really bad idea to do yes that's kind of just what i figured it yeah. does like it's not a good it's, uh, it's not that it's not a good comic it is a very particular view of these characters and it would have 
for for all everyone says, DC has just ripped off Alan Moore forever. Mm-hmm. Had this been published, we only would have been reading Twilight things for the last like twenty years. Okay, but the thing that's weird is, as you know, how much people Kingdom Come. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Kingdom Come. Uh, the uh, what is it? What's the Denny O'Neill, the event with Monarch and all that stuff? What's that? Oh, Armageddon 2001. Armageddon 2001 bites from it. Like, sections... Well, there, there a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of people have, um, you know, let's politely say, had similar ideas. Yeah, like, clearly uh, read it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but again, with the exception of you and me, how many people actually think about Armageddon 2001 very often? If Alan Moore had written this... Right. No, 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 no. I know. And I'm not saying, I guess what I'm saying is, is on the one hand, you, uh, you're you absolutely right. The sense of what Alan Moore would have done is at the very least more or less changed the DC universe into kind of more or less the universe that exists in his saga of the Swamp Thing run, you know, and to the extent that that is either not everyone's tea or the way in which that is a better fit for characters like, say, um, uh, uh, Swamp Thing, then... Yeah, or Watchmen. Right. You know, like, one of the things about this this pitch is it does feel very much like Moore's still in a Watchmen frame of mind. Mm -hmm. You know... He, he describes Phantom Lady, of all fucking people, as a, somewhere approaching 50 and still has a sort of ripe, down-at-heeled Joan Collins sexuality to her still. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, and it's just like, really? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but, I mean, for me, I still also think that, like, you, like somebody who had the time and wherewithal, and it's not me, could sit down and Ill- yeah illustrate sections from his pitch with panels from comics that have been published oh, since that it, clearly... in all seriousness i think kingdom come owes a lot to this mm-hmm. like a lot to this and i don't think anyone who's read twilight and kingdom come would not be able to see the connections oh yeah i mean you know, like Kingdom Come feels shockingly, shockingly close. Sure, to what to what Moore's writing. Yeah, but I mean, so, Kingdom sorry. Come uh, sections of planetary sections of uh, fuck. Um, weirdly enough, Morrison's like God. What was it? It was something weird. Like oh God, actually, there- no. I take it back. Maybe it's Moore's Wildcat Spawn. No, it, 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 yeah, it, that's 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 more. Yeah. Um, but like, also, you can see like Hickman's Hickman's X Men in here too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see you can't like trace this through a lot of uh, into a lot of, a lot of things. John's, real. John's pulled from it for weirdly, I think, in his Teen Titans run. Like, there's there's lots of weird areas where again, people are like, oh yeah, I'll nip that idea, or oh yeah, that seems smart, or oh, this is kind of a weird way to pull this out of that um and you know some of it is kind of like it's hard to say 
Like, like, cause more goes for some of those areas where it's quite likely that someone again, like Ellis would be like, I absolutely want to have all the pulp heroes team up to take out the, you know, the rotten core of the superheroes or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's things like, you know, like, you know, Adam Strange is a, is a, a double agent. He's a mole on earth. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. we're seeing that in strange adventures right now in, in Tom King book or, hinted at at least yes but that doesn't necessarily mean it's been ripped off twilight as much as like oh yes it does i mean come on it's tom king King. yeah Uh, well i my point was going to be (laughs) man of two worlds lends itself to double agent of course as a concept that's a good point yeah right Mm -hmm. there there are these ideas in twilight that are you know that you can imagine multiple people thinking up Mm mm-hmm as much as I'm like, ah, fucking Kingdom Come, though, it's fucking ripping off Twilight. You know, there are other things in there where it's like, well, not everything that reuses a, an idea that Moore mentioned in Twilight necessarily is ripped off of Twilight. But you're right, it's it's Tom King, so probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Anyway, it is amazing that that gets published, and it, it is... That, yeah, sorry, that was that was my larger point before we ended right. up like, discussing, you know... The, the... <laughs> it's It's... It's kind of amazing to me that they published it. It it is. I mean, on the one hand, sure, I like. I'm sure that DC owned the material, right? I'm sure that they paid him for it, and you know, but pitches don't get published without the author's permission. No, no, right, right, right. And I, again, I say this to someone who's glad they they published it, glad it's out there, because again, it's been spread around for years. Everyone read it, mm-hmm. and I'm glad it's actually been officially put out. But I'm also not glad because, again, you don't do that without – because, again, there's like five pages of Moore essentially writing a letter to the editors. No, and and trying to sell it. You know what I mean? Like it's – it is – Sorry, I said five. It's eight. It's eight pages of preamble. Of course it is. Yeah, it's like eight pages of preamble and it is absolutely Alan Moore kind of doing a sort of like – yeah, everyone, like, we, we can really see this as a way that people will be really, it'll revitalize these characters and everyone's going to want a Billy Batson sex pervert character, action I, you know, figure. Also very much like, you know, uh, the DC story, like the DC universe is the greatest, you know, the comic book story ever told, mm-hmm. which, you know, maybe he believes, maybe he doesn't. But right. you can also believe that he said it to help sell it. Well, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, but that and and the him him talking excitedly about the Watchmen deal mm-hmm. feels like very weird to read now. Sure, you, like it. it someone I said this on Twitter, and someone more or less said like they should have published it with some sort of historical note, and they were obviously never going to right. Because, yes. like, what would the historical note be? Yeah. Months after this, Alan Moore decided that he hated the Watchmen deal, but we at DC Comics think the Watchmen deal has always been great. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's not going to happen, but even just, I don't know, there it's it's such a weird thing to read. Um, It's weird in, in a number of ways. It's weird because it's, you know, for people who are very used to curmudgeonly Alan Moore, it's not that Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. Right? But again, why should it be he's writing to people he knows? But it's also, it's a very younger Alan Moore. Also, yeah. 
he is talking about the Watchmen deal as if DC is going to hold up their end, which they d- did not do. Like, you know, that there is something where he's like, oh, man. I mean, that's the part of the historical note is Alan Moore was promised a lot of things that the DC then were like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not we don't have to do that. But, we but didn't them, actually say we then, were going to do it. For him to then go on and talk about like the importance of merchandise and everything feels particularly ironic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just Well, because again, that was the other thing that he talks about is you know, the the smiley face watchman buttons that just about everyone, you know, of a certain generation had. Uh, those were merchandise that they were, you know, that that, that people paid for, but he didn't get paid for that because DC then called it promotional material. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's why it's ironic that he's talking about how great the Watchmen deal is and how excited he is about it. And then a couple of pages later, he's talking about like how important it is to do merchandise. Right. Like it's literally, it's, it's. You know, it's Chekhov's gun of unfortunate references with historical context. Well, yeah, I mean, again, the thing that's actually super creepy is then DC is more or less publishing this and making more money off of him. You know what I mean? Like, that's, as you know. I, I genuinely think the rest of this book is worth the co- cost of admission as is. Mm-hmm. But people are going to buy this because the, like this Twilight thing's in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not a lot of people because, again, it's $35. But but people are. Like, they are literally by... Um, I don't know. I don't know the right way to put it. They're putting out um, Alan Moore. It's it technically unpublished Alan Moore DC material. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the first unpublished Almer DC material in three and a half decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that is going to generate sales. Man. Yeah. And it's, you know? well, anyway, yeah, it's crazy. I kind of, of course, for me, I'm sort of like, man, I wish they kind of hadn't published that <laughs> in that <laughs> book. Cause I'm like, there's no way I'm going to pick up that volume. You know, which is kind of a bummer like, because because I pick up the rest of the volume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I I don't know. I'm like, oh, I'll probably check it out on Hoopla. I'm like, or will I? I'm like, hmm, I don't I don't know. It's it's just it's yeah it it, it it's it's troubling, Graham. I have to say, it's great your the fact that you are able to see it and appreciate it. Like appreciate it and see it in an even-handed way, but it is—it's a—it's a—it's it's a little—it's no, it, a little uh, disquieting. Honestly, I had to I had to mention it after yes. saying I wish DC would put out this timeline because <laughs> again, <laughs> right. I, I genuinely sure. do. But again, Absolutely. the timeline was written by at least partially by people who aren't at the company anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm I am basically asking, or not even asking, I'm basically wishing DC would do exactly the sort of thing that they've just done. Right. Which I am um, conflicted, shall we say, about. Sure. You know, because sure. again, I am I am glad to have read more of it than I had previously read. I think it's a fascinating document. I think it's honestly a very uh, and very happy road not taken, if that makes sense. Because sure. I really do think publishing this would have been a terrible, terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that you, you kind of shouldn't have published it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like right, right. I mean, where where's where's the line in that case? Yeah, like can DC put out a book of literally Alan Moore, you know, letters to Karen Berger when they were working on Swamp Thing together? Sure. Yeah, that's actually a really well. You know, it's funny that you mentioned. I say that, that but like, you know, everyone knows that it would be Neil Gaiman's letters to Karen Berger, <laughs> and it would be a hardcover with like a new cover painting by Dave McKean. I was about it to say it would have an introduction by Neil Gaiman. You know, and the first line would be, "Nobody was supposed to read these." You know, and <laughs> and then the second one was, "I'm a storyteller, but I never realized the story would be me." Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Oh no! No! <laughs> oh, we're getting loopy. Jeff, what else did you want to talk about? No, I, um, I think that was it. Like, I feel like there was some other little piece of comics newsy type stuff, but I, I honestly don't know. <clears throat> no idea. I think this is it. I had my picks. I wanted to talk about the Queen's Gambit uh, through a very particular lens. I I knew that there was the new DC titles that we were going to talk about. Um, you know, I, I wanted to talk about that Marvel Masterworks sale. Uh, so I I think I think I kind of have it. I think I, I kind of have I it. I think yeah. we've done it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, or... I would have had more lists. I was really going to go for crazy. Oh, you know, one thing I was going to do, Graham, and I tell you this is true. I was going to have quizzes for you. But this is where I think you got lucky that I had to come up with a completely new um, podcast recording, met conversation recording method, because I really was. I was like, oh, this is what I'll do. I'll describe five of my favorite manga, but one of them will be made up and I'll make Graham try and guess which one it was. Like stuff like that. Oh my like God, that. can we do that one for the first one of 2021? <laughs> Maybe I will. Can we? Can we do that? Because that would be fun. <laughs> we really should do like a little quiz episode. I think that would be really goofy. But yes. Um, so, so the holidays. I, I have one yes. last thing. Yes. Oh, say. you do have a last thing. Great. It's a very last thing, and it's a very quick thing. Someone in the comments for the last episode of Wait What asked what my favorite filmed version of the Christmas Carol is. Oh, that's a good question. That's right. I saw that. Yeah. Um, and the answer is. It is probably the Muppet Christmas Carol, but it might also be a thing that was on the BBC a couple of years ago called A Christmas Carol Gone Wrong mm. or Goes Wrong, mm. one or one or the other, which is, have you heard about the Goes Wrong plays slash TV shows? No, I don't think so. It's literally, the gimmick is literally, it's amateur dramatics and shit goes wrong. That's mm-hmm. it. It's like they're bad actors or the sets fall apart or they mispronounce lines or they forget the lines and that's it. That's the entire gimmick. Uh-huh. And for some reason, I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, and they've done the there's a, the play goes wrong and Peter Pan goes wrong are two ones they did for theatre. Mm-hmm. And then they did Peter Pan goes wrong for the BBC and they followed that up with a Christmas Carol goes wrong. And then they made an entire show for the BBC, a series for the BBC mm. uh, of original stories. Uh, which are is all on Amazon for some reason. If you're in the US and you want to see it, it's on Amazon Prime. It's called the Ghost Wrong Show. Huh. Um, and it's 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 genuinely silly, stupid jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Peter Pan thing is, oh, what if they, tr-, you know, their harnesses get attached to fly, but it pulls their clothes off. It's that <laughs> level of comedy, <laughs> right? Of course. 
Um, and I love them. And the Christmas Carol one in particular, I really, really like. That's so hilarious. that might be my favorite Christmas Carol. And if not, it's probably um, the Muppets. Or if you're allowing for the fact that it's not a direct adaptation, Scrooged. Oh, interesting. I love Scrooged a lot. I love Scrooged a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to re-see it because there are, it's to me it's a very uneven movie, but there's things oh, in it that I really love. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a complete mess, mm-hmm. but uh, but I I love it. <laughs> it. It's very much uh we want to do a Christmas Carol. Bill Murray is really famous. Mm-hmm. That's all we need. And at some point, someone was like, well, shouldn't we like write a script with good jokes? And they're like, nah, fuck it. Why don't we have uh, Bobcat Goldthwait? And he's just going to be a guy who gets fucked over a lot as well. That's that's our that's our B plot. And that's the that's as far as they got in planning it. Yeah. And I still love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is. That is amazing. I'm trying to. When I was a kid, I saw a version of A Christmas Carol that that really knocked me out, like did everything it was supposed to do. And it was during that stage where I like saw it at some kids matinee and I have no idea. And I've never really bothered to hunt it up. I would suspect that it was the George C. Scott version, but I don't know for sure. And I'd like to check it out. So, but, uh, for, for those who we should put a plug in and mention it in the show notes, Chloe wrote a really great piece uh, over at Neotext as to why A Muppet Christmas Carol was is the best adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And I was like, huh. So I'm kind of delighted that you feel similarly. Uh, oh, she 100% has convinced me. Mm-hmm. I'd seen it like maybe once mm-hmm. <laughs> before. And now I've seen it a lot. <laughs> I've seen it a lot like in the last year. <laughs> that is really hilarious well good i'm glad that you got that i'm glad you got that answered because that that was actually you're right a very clever question um listeners uh i i had mentioned this as an invite in the thread for the previous episode where we were talking about best of lists i'm extending the offer to you listening if you want to have your top 10 list um, please show up. I'm encouraging people to show up to the th- to the comments for this episode and post your own top ten list. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd be really curious. What have we missed? Yeah, uh, what have we missed? Like, what do you agree on? You know that the various various variations on that. I, I'm 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 really like I'm I'm always curious. What are what is the shit the shit that we just didn't know about, or the shit that we didn't read because we thought it wouldn't be fun. And instead, it's great. Yeah, that it's actually it, really I, I go back to when I was doing the Eisners. Mm-hmm. And like one of the things that was just utterly thrilling about that was discovering just all new favorites. Right. Not just good work, but stuff that I was like, this is fucking amazing. And I've never heard of this before. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what I want. Okay. Well. People bring new things to us. Yes, bring us your lists, please. If you if you want to, as as Graham said, there's clearly a deficit this year. The world needs more of it. Um, so you know, here here's here shoot your shot, as they say. So um, uh, and then I think that puts us in 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 the the end of gambit, Graham. 
I believe this is where we get to closing Gam comments. Gambit, you say? Mm -hmm. Gambit. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, God. I'm not going to talk in a fake French accent. Uh, <laughs> there are going to be uh, show notes for this up at waitwhatpodcasts.com. There are going to be there's going to be some Christmas content on waitwhatpod.tumblr.com uh, in the next week. There's already a Teen Titans Christmas image on Instagram.com. Uh, oh, uh, we are on Twitter at Wait What Podcast. Jeff is on Twitter at Lazy Bastard, L A Z Y B A S T I D. I am on Twitter at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff Lester has something to say to you right now. Step up to the mic, Jeff. Hey, I remember something else that I was going to mention that I did forget about. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, Graham, this may be of use to you as well, maybe not. Uh, I I have I feel like I I feel like I either mentioned it super briefly on the podcast or not at all. So let me revisit one of the big delights for me in 2020 for reading digitally is uh, if you read on an iPad. Um, although I think it might also be available for Android. Look up Sidebooks. It is a free PDF reader. Um, that is actually a Japanese app that they did, fortunately, a, an English translation on. It allows you to import PDFs, create custom bookcases for those PDFs, has a ton of markup tools, allows you to list, do lists and various things. The reason why I switched to it is this was the year that I bought, was buying a ton of Humble Bundle manga, um, many of which was not being flipped properly by Goodreader. So if you like reading, if you like picking up cheap PDFs of, of manga through various legal legit sources like Kodansha's various uh, humble bundles, Sidebooks is a, an, is a fabulous reader uh, for that. And I really loved it. Also, one of the things that is interesting is they... Um, because it's a Japanese app, it has a, an entire interface that we don't have access to, where essentially they allow um, bookstores to partner with the app and publish their own bookshelves, essentially, of free material. So like if you want to have um, samples or digital giveaways or things as promos, you can create an account that Sidebooks then puts forward and allows you to connect you as a reader to connect to and download freebies. Um, I think uh, the reason why I mention it is, is the only thing, of course, that doesn't exist in the U.S., but for whatever reason, Sidebooks uh, had partnered with the manga uh, Ka who uh, did Give My Regards to Blackjack and so at least the last time I looked, you can read like 10 volumes of Give My Regards to Blackjack for free. So it's kind of like getting 10 volumes of manga with a free reader thrown in. I mean, depending on how you look at it. Side books. I really like it a lot. I loved and adored Good Reader. Um, for those who are wondering, one of the great things about Good Reader is if you have the Marvel GIT uh, core DVDs, which have the PDF collections of the the, the Marvel greats. Um, Goodreader is one of the few PDF programs that removes the Marvel stamp 
uh, water drat mark on every page, which is makes it still makes it invaluable as far as I'm concerned. And Sidebooks does not do that, or if it does, I haven't figured out how to do it. But um, but considering it's free, it's a great program again for those people reading manga and PDF. Now Patreon. Uh, the reason why, in part, why I mentioned that is I am several months behind, at the very least, on doing the the Patreon free comic book club, where I was taking public domain comics and uploading uh, them for people to, uh, to, you know, Dropbox links so that people could download those, including Captain Marvel versus the Monster Society of Evil. Uh, or at least I think the majority of it, because there might be one chapter that still is not in the public domain. I forget how I did that. Um, you know, the fine people at 2000 AD uh, slash Titan allowed me to offer up uh, Judge Dread the Complete Case Files. Volume 5 is a freebie. If everything goes right, I might have one last little Christmas freebie for Patreon readers before the end. If not, I will drop a note apologizing, but... Keep your fingers crossed. If this one comes together, it's going to be a crazy idea, but but it might work. Um, the listeners, you're appreciated. You you managed to keep us inspired and on point, and you know, at least in my case, making stupid lists and then refining those stupid lists. And in fact, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to publish my 57 titles uh so that oh, you can do. see that you know i mean part of me is like yeah maybe i will at least hidden behind a hyperlink or something so that you guys can check it out but that sort of being able to be still so engaged with the really amazing medium that is comics uh is is something that i makes me still manages to make me very happy has been a very that and talking to Graham has definitely been a bright spot to a I think uh, safe to say dismal uh, year and um, and a lot of that really is due to your the generosity with which you give your time and attention to us and the fine people of Patreon who in addition to that also throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh which is um Again, hugely appreciated, especially in what was a crazy and um, tenuous year. Uh, I want to give a special thanks out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, and Dominic El Franco, our two galactic defenders um, for whom we are hugely indebted uh, for their continuing support of this podcast. They also do excellent work keeping the galactic realm as tidy as possible and as safe for us as possible. If only those of us here on planet Earth could learn from their example. Graham? See, now I'm like, wait. So, Amber's Audrey, sure, she exists off planet Earth. But Dominic, like, Earthbound, surely. He's like a Hal Jordan type deal. Yeah, he's right. Exactly. Exactly. He's up there. He's protecting the sector, but he also spends a lot I, I of time say, down here. Not Hal Jordan per se. Yes. I just like a. I'm. I'm Dominic. I'm not saying that you're a jet pilot slash insurance salesman thing. or insurance adjuster <laughs> or whatever it was. Anyway, yeah. No, it's ah no, Dominic. Thank goodness you're not Graham. How dare you? How dare you? Um. 
Yeah, that was just good to say. I have to say, there is no real reason to say that for those okay, people like, who thought it was manufactured drama. No, no, yeah, I don't know. No, no reason. I was just like, boy, I felt good saying it though. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Uh, this is the last weight loss of the year. That's right. And, and so uh, I think it falls to us. First of all, to say for those of you who enjoy the holidays or, or suffer through the holidays, I hope you have good ones. And I know Jeff does too. Yes. Um, but also it has been, it's been a really fucking weird year. Yeah. And I think for almost everyone, at least at some point, a bad year. Mm-hmm. So bless the lot of you for making it through. Yes. And I hope it was, I hope, I hope it's ending in something resembling a good fashion. I, I say this, we're recording this on Saturday night and Jeff, I don't know if you've looked at the news today. Apparently there's a mutant strain of COVID in the UK. Oh no. That is being transmitted faster than the others. So, you know, I say, I hope it's ending. Okay. And for all I know, like just the opposite is true. If that's true, if you're having a terrible time, I hope things improve as quickly as humanly possible. Yes. Um, we appreciate the living shit out of all of you. Uh, it, it's it's a complete joy to do this podcast, not only because I get to talk to my best friend every week, but because I, it's 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 nice to have this like thing, this community. Yeah, <laughs> as strange as it is, um, and and yeah, twenty twenty has been a year that has been. Very, very heavy on the, well, fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, <laughs> you and I'm here to say, that's, that we're, we're here to say just the opposite. Yes. We love you all, we hope you have good holidays, we will talk to you, I was going to, like, do a dad joke and be like, next year, but really, I mean, like, two weeks from now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're back on... Oh, Jeff, when are we back? Let's actually look at the calendar for a change. Oh, you know, do look at the calendar because I filled in all of our dates between now and the end of May. Holy living crap, so you did. Yeah. Uh, We're going to be back on on, uh, January 4th, which is... Are are we? Yeah, I think we record on the 3rd and and I'll have the episode up on the 4th. Oh my god, yeah, so we're going to be back January 4th, which seems crazy to me, but there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, have a good holiday, uh, and be good to yourself in this ridiculous time of year. And we will be back in two weeks for the 2021, please God, let it be better. Wait, what? I was going to say Jeff sing us out, but you don't sing us out in these ones, it's me. Bye!